I can't hear you at all. You can't hear me at all? No, I can't hear me at all either. Well, fiddle with the setting thing again. See if you get any audio. Let's see here. Hello, hello, hello. All right, now I got you. That's audio troubleshooting. You jiggle the connection and it works. It's much like uh, uh, the toilet in somebody's house. You just got to jiggle the handle. Everything will be fine. Uh, Well, sort of, because something's not making a connection and therefore there's no flow or too much flow. Yeah. So that's relatively similar. Yeah. Kind of, but not really. <laughs> All right, so you're late as fuck. I'm tired as fuck. I'm edgy as fuck. You're yeah. staring at your fucking phone. Yep, I'm ready. I have notes I need to have on this thing. And if Matt doesn't start doing his own clips, this is what the show's going to be like from here on out, folks. Here we go. The following show will destroy your self-worth with excessive expletives, overtly descriptive sexual deviance, and more desperation for external validation than any so-called entertainment should ever be allowed. Talentless losers who are about as insightful and provocative as a comatose jellyfish. Cinemas Psyops. A tendency to deprave and corrupt those whose minds are open to such immoral influences and to whose hands a publication of this sort may fall. So if someone of a dirty bird gets hold of your stuff and it makes them a dirtier bird, then it's labeled obscene. Encouraging the lowest, most base, and animalistic of desires to all who will listen. Because we, as a society, have decided that a cinema psyops represents our base and vulgar impulses, and that acknowledging our use of it rattles our collective conscience. I was trying my best to make a positive impact in the lives of others, but secretly I was involved in a relationship that was taking over my life. Cinema Psyops. It was leaving me wounded and depressed, unable to even manage the relationships that mattered to me. Auditory vermin infesting every aspect of the human condition, spreading their filth and foul disease. The Black Plague Podcast. Cinema Psyops with Court and Matt. Twenty-fifth episode of Cinema Psyops. That's 225 weeks straight without missing a beat, without missing a release. Now, he may not have been involved in all of it, but he was involved in the majority of it. That is Matt. Hello. We're trying out some new stuff here, see if we can kind of control Matt's voice. I built a giant ball of foam and just put it all over the microphone. I'm just talking into the black box. (laughs) This is what I imagine a pilot's doing on the way down. Uh, Sort of, except their black box is an ultimate recorder that just gets everything included flight data. Yeah. This is just a bunch of extra foam I had laying around from various... Well, I did say it was exactly like it. I just said it felt like it, alright? It feels like your voice sounds about exactly the fucking same, but it's not as echoey. We won't know until we get another person in here. Yeah. And have that other mic, but then again, I will probably build a different cage for this. And we rarely have another person in here. Well... We just did recently with two people, but... Well, because of the equipment problems and trying to control that fucking booming 
voice of yours. Yeah. You're like the black bolt from the Inhumans when you fucking talk the world ends. <laughs> That's how powerful your voice is. I haven't is. watched the Inhumans. It's okay. I mean, yeah. it's, it's one season and I'm on the eighth episode right now. I'm watching it because it's on Disney Plus and I'm trying to <laughs> pad out time between my release of The Mandalorian, which has been the greatest thing of Star Wars that has ever been released yet. Agreed. <laughs> Wait, you're including the movies in this. You like it more than the movies. Yes. Wow, that's yeah. big for you. That's big for me. Yeah. But The it's, Mandalorian so far has been best. Yeah, I mean, I love the Baby Cart series, and that's basically what this is. It's the Baby Cart series in Star Wars universe. Yeah. Or a little a little taste of maybe instead of Baby Cart, it's a little bit like High Plains Drifter or Outlaw Jolzy Whales a little bit, too. Yeah. Only he's protecting a, a kid, so there's a little bit of that Baby Cart thing going on, too. Yeah. So I'm actually really happy with that show so far. Yeah, so far it's been really well done. Yeah. It seems like it's just as divisive as everything else. It's oh, it, when you get to things like Star Wars or Star Trek that has this huge established universe, there's always going to be problems. Nobody's going to be 100% happy with anything. Well, and if you make any like female strong characters show up nowadays, the incels who think that it's all about Luke and his power and the Jedi and all that stuff is just going to have a fucking shit fit. Well, yeah, they're, they're automatically going to think, well, you're only making a strong woman character to, you know, make other people happy. And it's like, no, just it's just there man why why can't you just be like okay this is how it's gonna go it's like they're saying that they can't believe in strong women characters but they can't believe in actual glowing swords of laser yeah but as long as it's being held by a man because that's what they're all about yeah i i yeah I, I don't know fuck it it's stupid do you think that there is a disproportionately larger number of man children incel asshats having to do with star wars than other franchises right now yes but marvel's a close fucking second marvel's a close second i would love to see Star Trek besides Discovery, but that is so kind of CBS all access is kind of hard for anyone to get. Uh, so I don't know Discovery has that much of a following. I don't particularly, I haven't watched it, but I don't have CBS plus it, that just Discovery isn't enough for me just to order that. Yeah. But I would love to see another major Star Trek TV show, not movie, but a TV show come out with all new characters and have another female captain or another female strong lead and see what what we get out of that. But I will say this. Typically, Star Trek fans are a little more open-minded and a little more, you know, uh, uh, accepting of things than... Except for the boomer ones that were all about the original Kirk. series. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, then, you know what? Even with Picard, they hated it. You know, it was like, yeah. oh, no, we're, we need to shoot things all the time. And what's with this character development? Now, wait a minute. No, I'm not a boomer just because I liked <laughs> the fact that they shot things more in the original. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. But you can also appreciate the other ones for what they have. Some of the later seasons, when they stopped doing all the conflict resolution shit that was going on, basically when Roddenberry died is when TNG got good. <laughs> yeah, Roddenberry had a certain thing image. that he wanted to, yeah. I, I liked, unfortunately, after he died for the different camera angles we got, because I felt like he was trying to do these weird, uh -huh. like, artistic camera angles, and I'm like, I, I, I'm just going to get a little, like, motion sickness. You know what his artistic camera angles were missing that J.J. Abrams brought to this universe? <laughs> Don't say lens flare. Don't lens say flare. lens flare. God damn lens it. No flare. lens flare. Lots of lens flare. I fucking hate lens flare. All the lens flare you can tolerate. <laughs> that's, that's why I'm so into the Orville. No lens flare. <laughs> Although they made a few lens flare jokes in the Orville, if you they remember. They did. Yeah. They did. But to answer your question seriously, yeah, I think Star Wars suffers the most out of anybody. I think right now, with Marvel being the close second. Okay. All right. So we're talking a little bit about all these different franchises and series and yeah. the way that people are over 
overreacting or reacting to them because there is a lot of controversy in just these two films that we're talking about for our full franchise fest. Wow, really? Battle Royale 1 and 2. Now, I was considering having you get the ebook or get the audiobook to listen to the original thing. Yeah. But I just did one better and said, fuck it, we'll do the special edition or the extended edition, which on the disc was labeled as their director's cut on the Anchor Bay Blu-ray that I have uh-huh. that um, I ripped for you as well to watch. Now, the extended edition or director's cut or whatever you want to call it has like eight additional minutes of scenes that were added in. It gives you a little more backstory and character development, the kind of things that you and I like to chew on yeah. and really like sink our teeth into. Yeah. Because the kid death that's in this film is going to be there regardless. Yeah. Now, there is a little bit of extra CG thrown in for more blood hits and things like that, and they were very noticeable for me when I watched them this time okay. around. Um, that's I wish I would have watched the original then, too. Maybe someday I'm, I'm going to want to do that. Well, yeah. We, I mean, we could totally watch the theatrical cut, but I wanted to watch the special director's edition because that was the bootleg that I got my hands on first. Oh, oh no. I I get yeah. that. I just want to see. I want to see how longer. originally it looks so that I can see how it was different. Yeah. Well, there's still really ropey CG hits, but you got to remember, this is like 2000. This is 2000. So, yeah. Like the only other really reference you have for around this time frame for ropey CG blood hits for bullets is like Shaun of the Dead. This is uh, also this movie has pretty much helped spawn my favorite type of gaming right now. Well, yes. Battle and, Royale. And it's also really spawned a bunch of other things. There's a huge pop culture impact, which we are not qualified to talk about in any no. way, shape, or form. I'm only talking about the video game aspect, my favorite being PUBG. So uh, so PUBG is a direct influence from Battle Royale? All Battle Royale games are somewhat all taken from this. That's why well, they're called Battle Royale. Yes, I know that. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't know that PUBG... I, know Pu- I mean, PUBG in a it. sense because like you... While you don't start with anything and you're yeah. launched from a plane, you're still on an island. Mm-hmm. That island constantly get That space constantly gets smaller. You're outside the safe space. You're constantly getting injured. Uh-huh. And... But you can pick up things. Right. Uh, much like a sickle. Like the sickle the one girl has it's in this movie. It's very heavily influenced then, yeah. Very heavily influenced. Yeah, yeah, and you pick up your own guns and you kill someone, you can take all their shit and then leave. Uh, yeah, heavily influenced. All Battle Royale games are. Well, the original book was kind of a response to the rise of, from what I understand it, now again, I'm probably wrong on my estimation, but from what I understand from the original book, from the audiobook version that I have, it felt like a response to the rise of reality TV, um, game show style TV, and then just just basically like the ever widening response and the age gap of how adults were dealing with kids yeah. or not dealing with kids, however you want to look at it. Well, and especially if you're really thinking about it, uh, 2000s, the beginning of really when Survivor started becoming like monstrously in your face about right, but the reality novel was a couple TV years game before show. that, but yeah, but, but there was there, there, this the novel itself was like a couple of years oh, yeah. before this, but and before then the before came. that, yeah, there's still a, a reality TV, they expanded and, on the reality yeah. TV stuff, and we'll talk about it when we get into the the movie a little bit more in the movie to kind of really you know, adjust from what that. I understand there's a book mm-hmm. uh, a graphic novel and then the movie right well yeah the manga slash manga, graphic novel manga, I'm sorry manga I can't remember which one came first but one is the direct adaptation of the other yeah so I don't know if the manga came first or I believe the novel was first and then I bet, they made I th- a manga I bet the novel I was just making sure yeah. like they covered three separate genres yeah. for this uh, uh, this movie or yeah. the story I guess best to say it um, the director's cut that we're going to be talking 
talking about is pretty darn close to the novel as far as I can tell for adaptation. They changed a few things here and there, but I didn't go back and listen to the original audiobook before I watched the movie. I'm just going by memory for this. Uh Um, It was enough to where basically like some of the character names may be changed or some of the circumstances may be like condensed or something like that. But the general story is there. The same thing is it's the overall arcing thing is there. They expanded some things and contracted other bits just to make it work more in a movie type format. So that covers the book slash audio book that I have listened to slash read. (laughs) So that part of its cover, we did cover that franchise. Now I know the manga exists out there and from what I've heard, it's pretty much a direct adaptation of the book or vice versa slash whichever one came first. Uh So the movie is probably the biggest variant and the director's cut is the closest to how it is in the book slash special extended edition that they did. There's a bunch of different names of it, but the original theatrical cut is the original version of the film. That's what you're going to get on the Anchor Bay Blu-ray set. Now there's a much more superior aerial video set out there, but it's out of print Okay, and it's expensive AF. <laughs> so just go and get yourself. Unless you, this if these are like your two favorite movies of all time and you want to spend the hundred bucks or more on the out of print arrow, go for it. Yeah. But if not, the Anchor Bay one is more than serviceable. It looks perfectly fine. If you're not willing to pay like a hundred fucking bucks for the double disc set or, or the multi-disc set that Arrow Video did. And Arrow Video has much different features and it is by far the better set, but I'm saying it's only worth the money. Yeah. If these are your two favorite films of all time. And we're going to be going old style on these. The way we started the podcast, no clips. Well, there's that. And then also, um, because it's a full franchise fest, whenever we do these on the 25s, I try to limit it to like two to three, well, three movies max, maybe four. Yeah. But like, I'm trying to do it that way. And then when we had the options, it was like, well, why don't we just do this two movie one? Yeah. Why why fight it? I mean, they're both like, it's going to be four hours of fucking movies. Yeah. These are two hour long movies, both of them. A little little over two hours for both of them. So, I mean, it's- And maybe give or take, because the the credits take a while. So, but- uh, I mean, it's close enough to two hours a piece. Yeah. How about the four hours of total entertainment? Right. So, I mean, you just add an extra half hour, and that's like the normal length of movies that we would be watching for our other full franchise yeah, fest. Yeah, exactly. Like when we did like Maniac Cop and that other kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where one of them was like an hour long. <laughs> I still think we did Maniac Cop too early in our years. Yeah, I think so. Because I, I don't think we got enough listeners to appreciate the love that we had for Maniac Cop. Yeah, because, yeah, we both had seen Maniac Cop for years. We had been watching that. Yeah. And it's still one of my favorite shows schlocky shit fest of same here films. yeah love it <laughs> there, there's so much wrong with maniac cop one through three but i still love it no, so. i mean everything's wrong with it but who cares <laughs> what's great about it. <laughs> now, society seems to think, both Japanese and American society seems to think there's a whole lot wrong with Battle Royale until you uh, repackage it with a female hero that fires a bow and arrow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's a, a satire on uh, current political standings in the world. That's right. Even though the original one was, in fact, a satire on current political standards in the world and the age gap, you know, youth versus old and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Which is very fitting for everything that's going on right now in America. <sighs> Why does everything they have to be that's terrible have to be fitting with what's going on in America right now because everything that's going on in America right now is terrible no I agree I just hate being reminded of it like because then I wake up in the morning and I'm like what's the fucking point the point is we got to do more shows we got to do one show every fucking week until one of us <laughs> dies no death <laughs> and that would be me because I'll keep going long after you're gone yeah 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 it's uh, uh, wait what nothing god damn it <laughs> pay no attention to that necklace that just got slipped on you while you passed out for five 
five seconds. Hey, what is this, a choker? Uh, sort of. We'll discuss that after this. We're going to take a little break here. We're going to have a little promo from the Legion Patreon ad. Please give Legion your money. Why does it say daddy? Oh, wrong caller. Shit. And when we come back, we'll have a little bit of music befitting of the Battle Royale Part 1. And no fucking trailer because it's not in English. This will keep it quiet. Oh, hi there. I didn't see you. You call me Cutting a New Show. I'm Bo Ransdell, and I'm one of the many creators you can find on Legion Podcasts. I said quiet! My fellow podcasters and I work hard to bring you the best in horror podcasting, but that comes at a cost. What's that like to live deliciously? Not that, but also, yes. No, what I'm getting at is that there are server costs, costs for good microphones and software for editing, all the things that make our shows, you know, fun to listen to, and you can help. If you're enjoying the shows on legionpodcasts.com or in the Legion Network available on iTunes and Stitcher, just about anywhere you can download a podcast, really, you can help us out and get a little something for your trouble at patreon.com forward slash legionpodcasts. For just two bucks a month, you get a pair of movie commentaries exclusive to Patreon, and for five dollars, you can also join us for a monthly screening of a movie. All of that available on patreon.com forward slash legion podcasts we appreciate it and thank you for listening now back to the cutting room predict what's about to happen in this film quite so good as teenagers are all assholes by the Japanese band all Japanese bands this episode by the way oh hey alright high standard uh, H-I dash standard alright that's who opened up this show and gave us this I mean, song it makes sense to have all Japanese bands that's what I was thinking and I'm pretty sure they're all Japanese and if they're not then I'm racist AF yes clip I would say you know what's not racist AF Matt is this trailer but I watched the trailer and it is, and also it's in Japanese, except for, like, English text to tell us what's going on. Why are you so racist? Why won't you let people listen? You don't know, maybe all of our listeners can speak Japanese. If they can, great, but I can't, and I'm not sitting here for the three minutes to play the trailer and be bored AF. Uh, By the way, I'm going to say AF as much as I fucking can. Why are you saying AF so much? I gotta know. Because teenagers. God damn it. They're all assholes. I know, we should just fucking battle royale them. (laughs) I'm for it at this age. Yeah, same here. All right, well, we start with battle Royale. It's the dawn of the millennium, and the, the nation has collapsed. Uh, economic and societal breakdown is taking place with millions out of work. Wait, wait, for real? Like now or in the movie? Or well, I'm confused. Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, adults now fear the youth who have become unruly and doing okay, whatever boomer. they want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Okay, boomer. <laughs> we get a news report of a girl, and they say she is the winner. We don't quite know what's happening, but she is sitting there with a creepy-ass smile and kind of covered in blood, but everyone's taking pictures. And for the record, I am into it. 
There you go. Uh, we then cut to a boy. Uh, now, this is going to be the fun part of all of our lives. Me pronouncing these names. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. Uh, Shoya, he finds his father has killed himself. Um, then we cut to another student. Her name is Noriko. Uh, she's attending class and seems to be the only one showing up. No one else showing up to class. In fact, they write on the board that they're the rest of the class were on the board not coming because we feel like it. Yeah, they're trying to establish that all these kids are, I don't know, assholes? Unruly. Uh, the teacher decides to leave, and as he's walking out, he is injured by another student. Uh, he drops the knife, and she picks it, uh, Narito seeing it, picks it up and hides it. The teacher kind of got his ass cut, and he, Oh, there's no kind of about it. The yeah, kid he, ran out and slashed his ass. Yeah, I don't he, know if he did it on purpose, because it sure looks like that was an accident. It looked like he slipped and fell. Like, maybe he was running with the knife and slipped, and, like, his hand flailed up. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because he did fall. Yeah. So, so I he, don't know he if he was just running. He looked terrified as hell, and he looked like he had no fucking clue what was going on. Yeah, I think I think it was an accident. I believe so as well. Uh, the teacher, however, decides to resign. It was never seen there again. We need to talk about the teacher is a very famous um, I've seen filmmaker, him actor, director. You probably have because he's been in a fuck ton. And not just a fuck ton, but a metric fuck ton. That's of a lot films. of fuck tons. Yeah. He's actually a stand-up comedian, I think he started his career as, known as Beat Kitano. Okay. Um, same yeah. beat Takano or Kitano or what have you. Now he's made a bunch of films like the like Violent Cop, which I believe is on Shutter. I haven't watched it yet, but mm -hmm. it's there. Um, that's one that I, I know off the top of my head that he directed, and I think he starred in it as well. Okay, so um, he's a comedian, but he's sort of like the Robin Williams thing, where when he started making films, he did like darker, Serious, darker roles, more edgy things, and like actually like really kind of expanded upon his character. Okay, but at the same time, is still very funny, but in a creepy way, which I think. Yeah. Is really um, that I mean, comes this is out my, in this role he plays. Yeah, this is his most memorable role, I think, for a lot of us that may not have been as exposed to his film work, which I'm including myself in. I actually just did some research because I knew of him. I just didn't know a lot from him. Yeah, we have then a class field trip, and the whole class is on a bus uh, with uh, one of their teachers. Their teacher is kind of starting to look concerned because as they travel the road, they keep seeing more military people on the side of the road. Um, it's kind of a Japanese culture thing where a bunch of people packed on buses will be menaced at any given point in time for any reason at all. Yeah. It just happens. They enter in a tunnel and everything goes dark and then all of a sudden one of the uh, uh, Suru actually wakes up and he finds that everyone's passed out. Uh, as he kind of crawls over, he's knocked out by a woman wearing a gas mask on the bus. Looking like a flight attendant almost with the outfit that she's wearing. Yeah, kinda. Like, yeah. like this is just like, just uh, this is just her job. Yeah. I don't think she's part of the touring bus company or anything like that. I think like she was that. a tour guide, but undercover probably like a military incident because the bus driver put on a mask and I think she was supposed to be the tour guy uh -huh. and that's it. Possibly, yeah. yeah. But I really like this where most of the kids were kind of asleep when they do this anyway because it's a yeah, long so drive you're back. Like, when, when it like comes up, you think they're just, everyone's asleep on the bus. Naturally because it's you, a long drive. Right. Th then you realize, no, they just went into that tunnel, they were all awake and now they're all passed out and everyone's wearing gas masks so it didn't just gradually happen. Right, but it's really well done the way yeah. they do that shot. You're absolutely correct. The kids all wake up and they're in an abandoned what looks to be classroom. Uh, and they all have these collars on. Bunch of army guys and that former teacher comes limping in. He explains they have been chosen for a new government law called Battle Royale. He states they also now have two transfer students. Uh, Kawada and Karama. So, and they're kind of in the back of the class and they kind of both look like they're used to all this, not as nervous and scared as the rest. So those are two guys who you already 
already know you want to keep an eye on. Well, the one has the uh, Rambo necktie headband thing that he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that was a necktie wrapped around his head, was it? It not? was, yeah. Yeah, so he basically, whenever he got grabbed, yeah. he just put his, he wrapped his necktie around his head like a fucking Rambo. Yeah, they're just. Or more Gremlins too when yeah. uh, he watched Rambo. Yeah, <laughs> they're just, they're both just sitting in the corners though, in dark corners, and neither one of them looks scared like the rest. So, you know, these are two guys to watch. Well, the guy with the wild hair that's just sort of like spiked out everywhere yeah. and wearing like the black suit. Uh-huh. He looks like he's just like, give me a fucking reason. Yeah, yeah. Just give me a fucking reason. He looks like he was there before this abandoned school was built and they built an abandoned school around him. Well, this, they do say that they evacuate the island. So this was a yes. populated area that they're yeah, about I'm to gonna, throw down on. Yeah, I'm going to get to all well, that. Okay. Yep. The other thing I wanted to point out in the book, as far as I can remember it, um, the guy with the wild and crazy hair was actually the leader of a gang. Oh, uh, yeah. And yeah. he gets a gang of people around him working with him to try and get everybody else and take them all out. And this goes very different in this in the movie. Right. So what they end up doing is some of the scenes where he actually ends up turning on his own gang just to like, not necessarily pad out his numbers, but just because it's getting thin enough now yeah. to where he knows they're going to turn on him. Uh-huh. He, that's basically, there's a sequence where he just shows up and obliterates a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, which that doesn't narrow it down, but it's very similar to how he obliterates it's, his it's, own gang. It's actually very close here coming up. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the first night. It's the first night, in fact. Right. So yeah. there's something similar to that um, that they did. So they just kind of like condensed that gang down to just the leader and I put guess. him in here. Yeah. And then I don't really remember if there was a guy that was meant to be like Mr. Helpful Bandana tied around my head Rambo guy in the book. Uh-huh. Like, I just don't feel that that's the case. I think there was just another student who decided to do this because of something having to do with love. I got or you. Or some shit. Or maybe they just did this for pushing the romance side of it because I don't remember there being, a, I mean, there's relationships and there's like, you know, couples and things like that in the book, but it's very different. Like, I don't think there's like a through line Romeo and Juliet, we're going to fight this together, survive thing in the book that I, I got you. It was just pretty much like everybody fucking dies except for like this too. Yeah. <laughs> um, he explains that uh, all but one must die. He goes, your current teacher wasn't happy that you were picked for this. They bring in the current teacher's body who was murdered. So sorry about that. Uh, well, it's nice to know that there are a few adults that actually still give a fuck about teenagers who, by the way, are all assholes. Yes. But not yeah. going to help them, you know, because the military is bound and determined to murder kids. They uh, watch an instructional video with a very happy woman telling them that they will be given provisions, a map of the island, a flashlight, a compass, and a random weapon. Some weapons good, others not so good. Under the guise of making it fair and even for everyone. Yeah, which is going to be horseshit. Yeah, it's total horseshit. Um, during the video, the teacher takes out a knife and throws it into a girl's skull for talking during the film. We then get a label saying girl number 18, Fujiyoshi, dead. 41 to go. I also love how right after he does that, he's like, he just looks at the military guys. He goes, oh, was I not supposed to do that? Yeah, he goes, oh, that's against the rules. As he's leaving, uh, the boy, uh, Nubu, who is best friends with the main male character we have seen and also just happened to have slashed the teacher uh, on accident, we agree, kind of flips out, has a paper clips moment, and the teacher slashes him right in the ass and gives him a little bit of a receipt on that one. Yeah, so the kid that's mouthing off to him is not the one who slashed his ass. It was his best friend who slashed his ass. No, no, no. The kid who starts freaking 
freaking out and gets his ass slashed is the kid who also slashed his ass, who slashed the teacher's ass. And that kid is also the best friend of the main character. I always thought it was the, uh, I thought it was nope. the main character who did the ass slashing. Nope, nope. It was his best friend. All right, I'll take your word for it. And the reason I you, don't watch this movie to care uh, about the kids, I watch this movie to watch the kids murder each other. I'm just going to fucking say it. Clip. There's nothing more entertaining yeah, to yeah, me than kids, watching a bunch kids. of kids be forced to slaughter. All right, each well, other. let me tell the story then because I paid attention to the story. Oh, you go right ahead. All right. <laughs> no, I honestly, I honestly always thought that it was the same main character, nope. and that's what. And you find out it's because the reason the girl hid the knife is she had a crush on Nubu, and Nubu had a crush on her. Ah, oh, yeah, the whole relationship dynamic yes. that makes teenagers all assholes. Exactly. Um, the film then goes on to explain uh, that there will be updates at 12 and 6 p.m., or 12 and 6 p.m. and a.m., and if they will update them on danger zones. If they do not move from the danger areas listed, that their time call, their little callers will go boom. Uh, Nubu freaks out. You know, he's already cut, and the teacher decides to say, fuck you, and activates his collar, killing him. And it's not like your head explodes. It literally just blows out your neck, so blood just spews out. I thought that was really cool. It's sufficient enough to basically just destroy the sources of life-giving power, yes. your, your airway to breathe in, and then both your main thoroughways for blood on your sides of your throat. Yes, it's just It just, just blows all of that it's open. It's a great little effect. And then it states, boy number seven is dead. 40 left. Uh, then we find out more information that the battle will go on for three days. If there are more than one person alive at the end of three days, all will die. Their All their collars will be activated. Bags are brought in from the soldiers, and they are handed out one by one. And here, I even got the, the fun time of people who are getting called out on this. Boy number one is Akamatusu, and he grabs his bags and heads on out. Uh, and as he heads out, we get a little black screen saying, game begins 1.40 a.m. We have girl number one, Indida. She heads out. Boy number two, Iijima. He heads out. And then we get uh, girl number two, Yutsami. I believe she actually grabs her bag and uh, throws it back at the teacher, telling him to go pretty much in a sign of saying, go fuck yourself. Which is the girl I believe that um, they show to be friendly and hid the knife, right? No. That was a different girl? She, they have not called her yet. Again. This, this is a girl who actually doesn't last long, but she, she takes it upon herself. I, I don't fucking care about any of these kids, so they, yeah. they're all like the same to me, literally. It's like, and it doesn't help that they're all dressed in uniforms. Yeah, and then finally, I'm just going to skip ahead here. Boy number five uh, called is Kawada. He is one of the exchange, or one of the transfer students. That's the guy with the, the um, bandana on his head. head yeah. He grabs a bag and runs out. They call another girl, Kana, and then boy number six is the other transfer student, Kurami, Brahma, sorry. And as he's taking his bag, Kawanda comes back in, throws his bag, says that's one's not his, and points to the one he wants. The teacher laughs and just says to give it to him, and they leave. That's when the teacher says, I'm sure you now you've noticed your transfer students are very dangerous. So, you know, don't fuck around. So after Shiro is called, he goes uh, to uh, knowing that uh, his friend cared for uh, uh, Noruko, uh, Shiro tells her that he will look for her on the outside. He grabs his bags and runs out. Um, he comes up. One of the girls actually comes walking up to him as he's right outside the building. Uh, she has an arrow through her throat and she falls and dies. Um, Although the effect of the arrow through her throat was pretty laughable. Yes. And as he's like kind of freaking out, he has his flashlight out. An arrow goes into her leg. So someone's shooting at him. He looks up and it was boy one. Yeah. He was looking down at her and the guy yeah. was trying to shoot him through the neck too. Yes. Yeah. Uh, as he's trying to reload, uh, Shuru throws his flashlight, hits the boy in the head. He falls down. 
down, actually says to himself, what the fuck am I doing? Noriko comes out. Shuar grabs her and they run away. As the boy goes to follow him, another boy comes out holding the crossbow. He asks if this is his. He was actually looking, trying to be friendly, but the boy number one decides to bull rush him. And when he does, he scares the kid and he shoots boy number one right into his chest, killing him. We get a shot then that says boy number one and girl number 14 are dead. 38 to go. I'm really glad that the uh, movie decided to give you these tallies and everything like that. Yeah. And that's directly out of the book. And I'll say one thing. I'm shorthanding everybody. I just did the, uh, well, something that'll make you happy. Don't give a fuck about the kids. I just do them by their numbers. They give you their names as well. I just did by their numbers and then how many are left. Yeah, I would rather do that anyway because A, neither one of us can pronounce a Japanese name to save our lives. No. We're not going to be able to pronounce the names right, but it's no. not out of malice. It's just because we just fucking can't do it. Yeah, I just... American I'd, education system. Listen, I can't really pronounce any American words, like, correctly. Any, anything from the English language. Yeah, the guy I highly can... doubt I'm going to nail the Japanese language, which is about 5,000% harder than our dumbed-down languages. I mean, considering you're a guy who can't say footage. Footage. <laughs> footage. Go ahead. Alright. Uh, Shuya and Noriko, they stop, and apparently she has an injury on her arm. Uh, so as he's checking that, he checks his weapon. His weapon is a pot lid, and her weapon is binoculars. Yeah, so, and his weapon is fuck. already fucked. He doesn't even have the handle to use it as a shield now. No, yeah, it's everything's fucked on this. <laughs> I mean, at least in PUBG, you can get, like, an actual pan, and when you equip it, it can, like, deflect bullets if people are shooting at you, and you're running away from them. Yeah, that's because PUBG is um, not trying to just literally slaughter down to the last person. They want you to at least have a little bit of fun. They do, they, they, for a little bit. Whereas Battle Royale is all about killing kids, which makes it the greatest goddamn film franchise we've covered yet. <laughs> Even better than the the Romero film, full film. Not enough kid death. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> she uh, states to him that uh, she hopes he doesn't feel bad, but she doesn't trust anyone but him. Uh, and then we get a flashback of her getting bullied by all her female classmates. Uh, they called her short and ugly and locked her in bathroom stalls. So, Which apparently go from the floor to the ceiling, so there's no crawling out of. America is the only place that has those weird bathroom stalls that you could possibly crawl under and see somebody. Hmm. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. He then has flashbacks of him with his best friend Nobu who was just murdered, uh, who's stating that he had a he has a big crush on Noriko. Uh, so we see that in the reason that they even came, all of them came back to school was on her request to go on this last field trip. So it's all her school. fault? Kinda, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's all her fault. Yep. Uh, we see then the teacher whose name is Kitano, he's eating the cookies that uh, uh, Noriko had made. He's checking maps, and he gets an update that uh, one of the students Numais, uh, he has a gang that has now grabbed one of the transfer students, Kur uh, Kurama. As Numais gang questions Kurama, he is able to get a hold of one of their Uzis and kills them all. And as he runs, he takes their grenades that one of them had also had as a weapon. So, now he has a fucking Uzi and grenades, and we see that Kurama is not someone to be fucked with. Now, this was not the slot of all the people I was talking about. Yeah. The one I was talking about actually I think happens later on. But this is basically his gang all gets together and they just pull all their weapons together. Yeah. And they start working as like a, a cohesive unit to just slaughter. I know which gang you're talking about now then. Later on in the movie. Yeah. Because it's three boys. Yeah. 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 But I mean it's kind of similar to that. Um, I don't but there are three boys who are actually doing shit to get shit done. Yeah. Like they're actually like forming a resistance and I think yeah. that that slaughter is basically what happens because there is every 
everybody's got bullets and they have like weaponry and there's like a big shootout. Yeah. Yeah. But like he just basically slaughters all sorts of people all the time, constantly in this. Yeah. Whereas like it's a gang of them. So it's absolutely nothing like the Hunger Games where like a bunch of like the more rich realms will team up against all the poor realms and kill everybody off. Yeah. Nothing like that. Nothing like that at all. Nothing until like they, that at all. They get down to just the very few that are rich that are left. Wait, hold on. Nothing like that at all. Wait, it's exactly like the Hunter Games. No, no. She never read the book. She never saw the movie. The uh, original author does had no idea anything about the Hunger Games. Had no idea about the Battle Royale. None of this stuff. No, none of it. None of it. Even though it was a cultural phenomenon that was all around the world, she had no clue, Matt. I, I, I don't know, man. I, that sounds pretty far-fetched. I'm just saying that was her defense. <laughs> um, uh, we then get a pop-up saying boys, number nine, number 10, number 14, and number 17, and girl number five are dead. 33 Yay! to go. Dead kids. <laughs> a lot of them right away. Like that. Uh, I like dead kids. I like dead kids. Then uh, we have two students who run up, a boy and a girl, and one of the, the girl with him is the girl who threw her bag. Uh, they are scared. They don't know what to do, so she grabs his hand, and they both jump to their deaths off a cliff. So there you go. There's that happened to that girl. Were they like a couple? It seemed like they were they a couple. They weren't a couple. He, he was kind of a nerdy kid, but he was like, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry you're kind of stuck with me. I'm not much use. And they, But they kind of had a moment right before they jumped. So One of the things that the movie does really, really well that I don't remember being as much in the book, but is a little bit in the book, but they really kind of draw it out more, mm-hmm. is the interpersonal relationships and the like teenage high school angsty drama that the goes back The unrequited love you get a lot of times in yeah, high school. There's some unrequited love. Then there's also this like, um, I, why didn't I tell you how I felt earlier talk? And then also like these petty grievances over nothing. Like yeah. the perceived idea that someone was flirting with someone else's girlfriend slash boyfriend slash mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. You know, like whatever you're into, like somebody's would be significant other or their current crush. Yeah. Like if that's the case, then they're gunning for you and they're going to kill you. But then much like all kids, we have some of these kids who've had real honest to God life problems in their young lives. Yeah. Yeah. And those kids are going to grow up to be like the the guy with the crazy hair and the, the machine gun and they're yeah. going to do all right. Well, I mean, if they get to grow up. Fair enough. <laughs> but like some of those kids are using their trauma to yeah. become killing machines. Exactly. Or to at least win. I mean, but you have to be a killing machine to win, so. Well, yeah, they, they use their trauma to basically survive because they have survived much worse than this or just as bad as this in their own time frame where they have become the victim of someone else's sadistic whim. Yeah. And you see that a couple of different occasions where the kids with the most trauma are the ones that adapt the most and survive and continue to fight and they don't become petty. Yeah. Like all they care about is surviving. But some of the attacks are a little more psychotic than others. Yes. And we'll get into that. Well, anyway, uh, after they jump, uh, we get boy number 21 and girl number four dead, 31 to go. One girl is hiding out in a little shack and she's going through pictures. She is interrupted by another girl named Mitsuku. <laughs> you need a pronunciation guide. Uh, uh, right. Uh, <laughs> okay, Mitsu- new fun- Mitsuko. I'm sorry. Mitsuko. New fun game for everybody that will probably kill you every time Matt mispronounces a Japanese name, do a shot or take a drink. We lost all of our listeners. But do it responsibly because we want you alive for next week. Maybe just do like a shot of beer, like a light beer, but a little, <laughs> just a shot because you're still going to get drunk, but you just won't die. Nibble on a single CBD gummy. Yeah. <laughs> so all that happens is you just fall asleep. <laughs> I never got to finish the show, guys. I got in 10 minutes of it. And it's over. <laughs> I spent 
like three thousand dollars in CBD gummies because <laughs> of how much Matt mispronounced. Hey, let's let you read some of this shit and see how much better you do than I do. I already said that I would as well. Okay, you're right. just the one trying yeah, to do I'm it. Just the one trying to do it. I would have abandoned it and just Christian. stuck with the kid numbers. Percy, yeah, there you go. Oh man, I should have done that shit. <laughs> Too late now. Got to think ahead uh, <laughs> for movie two. Uh, <laughs> she uh, invites her into the shack, and they sort of go over some things. Mitsuko sees the other girl has a stun gun. Uh, she tries to actually take it from her, and after a struggle, Mitsuko kills her with her, er, er, actually gets a sickle and sticks it into her throat. She's still alive, and she tells him that she found two of her other classmates had hung themselves outside. She said she won't die that way, and then rips the girl's neck open with the sickle. We then see a pop-up. Girls number three, number 21, and boy number eight are dead. 28 to go. Uh, we hear some music played, and it's 6 a.m. Uh, the teacher reads a list of the dead and then enters the danger zone, starting that B5, E8, and F2 are all danger zones. So, and, and if you pay attention to the map, that's literally what they're doing is they're just yeah. shoving everybody they're towards shrinking one. shrinking it. Yeah, they're just shoving everybody towards one so area. So it's forcing everyone to face one another, yeah. And it's, I want to say it's towards the center, but it really isn't. I think they're just trying to funnel them all nope. to like where they have to interact like on a uh, cliff. From what I saw when they were doing it, they're marking off outlining areas. So that's much like how Battle Royale games do. They push you towards the middle. Well, that's because they're templated after this film. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's fucking great. <laughs> and again, talking about it makes me want to put it in PUBG. <laughs> you know, I think um, we really need to talk about how the Hunger Games had their own initial idea of those different zones that yeah. forces the people closer and closer together. Can I give you a God's honest truth? It's completely different. I've never seen the Hunger Games. Yes, you have. You watched Battle Royale. <laughs> Uh, I set you up tremendously for that. Thank you for that spike. That yeah. was devastating. You, yeah, that just destroyed them. <laughs> we just won side out style. <laughs> when are we going to cover that shitty 80s movie? Oh, I, uh, when I say so, that's yeah, what. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you run Barter Town. You got to ask yourself that question. Shea and Noriko are in a danger zone. They decide to start heading south. Lana! They are attacked, but Shea is able to use uh, the boy's hatchet against him. Uh, they fall down, actually, and the hatchet impales the boy in the head, and yeah, he dies. He doesn't, he doesn't really use it he doesn't against really, him. As much as they fall together, yeah, you're right. Yeah, the kid basically falls on his own fucking hatchet. That's, yeah. that's what happens. Lucky bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's worse ways to go, but, like, how... <laughs> but he even stands up, and he goes, ow, I'm sorry. And he even, like, apologizes to Shana for attacking him. He goes, sorry, everyone, I think I'm gonna be okay. And she's like, are you sure? And he goes, uh, and then he falls down dead. And it's like, that was fucking excellent. That is the most Japanese response to axing yourself in the head that I could ever have hoped yeah. for. I think I'm okay. I think I'm gonna be okay. No, more or less that he apologizes. Like, I tr I'm sorry I tried to psychotically kill that you and then like ended up killing myself. sounds like more of a Canadian myself. way to die. Sorry. Uh, the, 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 Jap the Japanese are very polite. I mean, yeah. that's like a cultural, like, a cliche almost, or, or yeah. stereotype. But <laughs> it's true. They are very polite. You think you would have thanked, like, thank you for checking on me after I tried to ax you. Thank you. Possibly. I mean, we're talking about an entire nation of folks that if they are ill and they have to go out, yeah. the people who are ill wear the paper masks automatically as a polite way to try and keep other people from catching their illness. Yeah. Whereas Americans are like, fuck you! <laughs> Americans like, can I just get right in your face and cough on you for a half hour? 
I don't even want to bother teaching my kid to like cover his mouth when he coughs. There's all a good reason for that. Yeah. America's a bunch of cunts. This is a fact. Uh, let's see. Um, another boy starts shooting at them, and as it looks like they're in trouble, he gets killed by Kawada. Kawada takes the gun and the hatchet, and then as they're all together, they hear a girl calling out. Uh, Was her weapon a megaphone? Yes, her weapon is a megaphone. Which is possibly the stupidest weapon you could possibly ever have. The only thing you could do is maybe like a, a lot of megaphones will have like noises that they'll make themselves like alarms set it put it someplace and then hide and then if somebody comes to get it you can maybe get the jump on them somehow that's nonsense that that's like a logical really good way to use a shitty fucking weapon like a megaphone yeah so to trap someone else what you should do is what this lady does yes which is these, so dumb these two girls are just calling out for help and tells them to come to the cliffs yeah uh, one signaling with like throwing her jacket around and then the other one's shouting and she's like we don't want to hurt anyone yeah they say they want to figure it out all together and not fight Shea wants to go help them and join them but Kawada stops him we also see Misuko is lurking in the background but she decides to leave uh the Kiriyama shows up and shoots both the girls uh with uh, his Uzi Kawada tells the two freaking out now who are behind him as she was like having a paper clips moment about how everyone can just kill each other he says there's a way off the island for you two just go ahead and commit suicide what he says he goes or just don't trust anyone and run uh then we get a pop-up that says girls number six number seven and boys number three and number 20 are dead 24 to go now the thing that i was talking about in the book that's a little bit different when they do discuss the numbers for the boys that are, and girls that are dead you actually get an individual death for each of them and they describe what happens yeah um you may not know who killed who but in most cases he gives you like a little like the the author gives you like a little bit of a story of the person or some of the things that they're thinking or what they're going through or how terrified they are checking their pack whatever it is that they're doing and then like their death happens so it's almost like a Stephen King thing where like they'll explain this guy's entire life I gotcha for like 70 some odd pages and then immediately kill them yeah I get but the, this author does it in a much more condensed form how where, big how long is this book is this like fucking epic levels long I think the audiobook was like eight or nine hours which is not that long of a book I would love to see the actual book then how thick yeah. that is and I'm I want to get my hands on the manga yeah. now because I, I'm really interested in actually reading it <laughs> Uh, we get a second report at 12 p.m. now that uh, get another list of the dead and updating the danger zones uh, to I-4, E-9, and F-1. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you get off the island. That's, nice. that's how you win. You don't oh. actually have to kill anybody. You just, if you get bingo, you're done. <laughs> oh, I wanted to murder teenagers. Okay, you little scamp. We'll just take off your collar. You go murder everybody. Yay! Clip. <laughs> uh, Mistuki is uh, caught by Hirono. Uh, she talks about how she can tell that uh, one of her classmates was killed by a sickle, like the one that Mistuki has, and also knows that whoever killed her uh, was on her period because she found a tampon. And she knows that that girl's cycle just started, so it's, she knows it's <sighs> Mistuki. I thought that was all weird, but... It's important to note here yeah. that the fact that there is a tampon left in the toilet, so she was going to probably be using the toilet. Yes. And saw that there was a tampon there. Yeah. And then her friend that is dead, yeah. she knows her friend's cycle because they probably synced up. Yes. That's something that does actually happen. It's a thing. It is a thing. They sync up. Um, anyway, as she begs for her life, um, Musuzu able to just pull out the taser and tases the other girl's hand. She's then able to get the gun and kills her. Girl number 10 is dead. 23 to go. More dead kids. More, More dead, dead kids. kids. Uh, Nuruku and Sh 
Shona are, are back and she has a fever uh, from her cut. It passes out. Uh, Shea carries her to a house, but Kawanda is in there. He helps with medicine, stating that his dad is a doctor. Uh, we then track, we see another boy, Hiroko, finds three others who are trying to carry a generator up the stairs of the building. He helps them to get everything started. Uh, his weapon is a GPS tracker device that can track everyone on the island or all the rest of the kids. Now that is a weapon That's worth a, having. That is a great weapon worth having. Because you can wait for someone else to fall asleep and get their weapon. You don't even have to fucking kill them if you don't want to. Yeah. Well, although if you take their weapon, you're pretty much killing them, so you might as well just do a mercy and take them out like Z Nation style. Yes. <laughs> he states, he asked the boys, have any of them seen Chugusa? Or, I'm trying to get this other name here because I got it. In- You're just trying to kill all the listeners of this show by them doing shots or nibbles. This this one might be correct, yes. <laughs> Don't die, we need you. <laughs> all right, he is looking for Kayoko and another girl named Chugusa. So anyway, he's asking those two where they are. Uh, they said they have not seen them yet. But anyway, the boys are now starting to charge some phone and one of the boys' laptops. Uh, Hiroko leaves to find those two girls, and um, the other one uh, starts, uh, he had uh, kind of a lot of uh, paper, because I think the collar was bothering his neck, and as he took it out, he was rubbing his neck, one of the three boys who stayed behind with the laptop, and he noticed there's there's a microphone. So he types out to his two friends that that's how they're listening to them, the microphones and their collars, and then tells them that they need to go out find fertilizer, pesticide, charcoal, and a sulfur and kerosene. Very astute listeners and also listeners who may or may not have a copy of the Anarchist Cookbook will know exactly <laughs> what this guy's trying to make. Yes. It's no shock at all. Chagrusa <laughs> um, is having a vision of her running, like being trained by Hiroko. But then we see her collars on and we can just see she was just running. Uh, the boy who actually killed the number one boy with the crossbow shows up. He says he wants her and wants to be with her. He loves her. Uh, and asks if she's a virgin. So we can already see where his brain's going. It's important to note because this lady will not be on screen very long. Did you recognize that actress? I've seen her before, yeah. I thought she looked familiar. Yeah. Um, Kogo Gogo or whatever from Kill Bill. Yes, that's who that was. She must have shown her feet or something like that because Quentin Tarantino had to have her in this film. He mentions that he in loves this movie. Yeah, he does love this film and he did champion Battle Royale. Yeah. Uh, he then threatens to rape her and take what he wants. He must have saw her feet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, well, she kind of starts fighting back at him, or not really fighting, but just kind of threatening him. He accidentally shoots and cuts the side of her face. Which is a big mistake. She then pulls out a knife. He starts to run away, but she catches him, stabs him right in the nuts, and then stabs him in the chest, killing him. That nut stab was like a shot heard around the world. Oh my god, when I saw that one, yeah! Fuck that dude! There was that, and then I also went, oh! <laughs> but fuck I, him! Yeah, it went, oh, but good for you. Oh, that hurts. But good for you. He deserved that shit. Oh, that hurts. Yeah, and then while he's like laying there screaming and like kind of crying, she stabs him a couple of times in the chest and gut. Yes. Which is fucking awesome. Um, Then Masuki 
Becky sees her and starts shooting at her. And I think she actually gets hit a couple times, but she's able to run away. We then get an update. Boy number 16 is dead. 22 to go. I believe that was the nut stabber. Yes. Uh, she is now very hurt and she's kind of just laying there and she is found by Hiroki. She warns him of the other girl and then states uh, if uh, he is in love. And he says he is. And she says, is it with me? And he says, unfortunately, it is not. She asks if he'll stay with her. He agrees and she dies in his arms. And we get the update. Girl number 13 is dead. 21 to go. Uh, we have the 6 p.m. report and the list of the dead. However, because there's only two, they're very angry. So now they make more danger zones and they will be happening every hour. So danger zone will now be added every hour. I believe the teacher is the one that's running all of this. And I yes. think like he basically just wanted more kid death. I think so. Which I'm, I'm okay with. Pretty much what you would do if you were running this and only two more kids had died since your last update. You'd be like, mm, gonna have to just go ahead and limit the playing field a little bit. Yeah, I think I would be moving in danger zones one every hour regardless. But I think you would do something different. I don't think you'd be giving kids like bullshit weapons and then some kids guns. I think you'd just like give everyone a knife. Or no weapon at all. No weapon at all. Fist to cuffs till you're dead. Pick up some rocks, find some weapons on the way. <laughs> Fuck make, you. Make up, you motherfucker. One guy gets the tracking device. Yeah, one one lucky son of a bitch gets a tracking device. I, I throw that to the kid with the, the weird uh, <laughs> like spiked out everywhere hair. Yeah. <laughs> It wants to kill everybody. God damn. I don't give it to the guy with the Rambo tie around his head because he seems like he wants to help people. I don't like that. You're not for helping people. Not when I'm trying to get mass murder of teenagers. Absolutely not. <laughs> Clips. Uh, we go back to Nuroku and Shuya and Kawanda. Kawanda tells him that he is actually a survivor of this before. He has done this before. Um, he said he and another girl were the last two left in the game three years ago. So this has been happening for quite a few many years. And if you do the math, they do this when they're about 15, usually, so he would be yeah. 18 now. And when the teacher got stabbed, they were all in middle school. So they're all like kids when that happens. So. Right. So they flag you at some specific point, it seems like. It or looks they flag like right school. when primary school is done, is yeah. what they said. It, they were on their last trip of their, not primary, but compulsory school. Like, whatever needed school they had to go through. Like, the reason that they're doing this is because, like, in Japan, I guess, at the time, I don't know if this is still the case, uh -huh. but I guess the age of majority is like 20 before you're a legal adult. Oh, okay. So there's like a lot of things that they have to support you for and social programs that kids are supported for. Yeah. So if you get past the point of compulsory school and you've already proven that you're going to be a waste of flesh to them. Yeah. They're, they're, then your whole class is done. And it sounds like Royale Act. And it sounds like everyone's kind of a waste of space. Well, it, yeah. Society has apparently crumbled and parents aren't taking care of their kids all that well and kids are just running rampant and, no, and out of control and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But they only do this once a year and it's one class selected to try and scare the rest of them? I think it's supposed to finally get out there so they're scared, but I mean, so many kids don't know it's happening. Well, yeah, because it's only been doing it for a couple of years and they've been doing yeah, it mostly it, in secret. It I hasn't think become so. sensationalized yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah but this, this but it's, it's getting there because you saw the news people there for that one girl survivor at the beginning. Right, they're allowed to witness them coming in and then the one leaving. Yeah. And then that's the, the whole news sensation that they have and I think there may be updates that get posted 
adjusted from as it's and, happening. And you know what? Some of these kids might not pay attention to adult TV. They might be like, fuck it. What do we care? Well, yeah. And also, since the Battle Royale Act has to do with their future, most kids tend to not pay attention to the things that have to do with their future. That's true. Uh, I know get, that's what got us. Yeah, right. Uh, we get in the time. Uh, we get in the, uh, a little bit of a flashback. As the timeline approaches, uh, she and Kawanda, this girl in Kawanda, embrace. Her name is uh, Keiko. And as they're embracing, she shoots him in the gut. He responds by blowing, like, shooting her, like, three times. Uh, she falls, and as uh, she, he's holding her, she smiles and thanks him and then dies. Um, he said uh, they, then they sent him back to school and then brought him back to shake things up in the game. Uh, he states that he will not die on this island, though, but he will find out why she smiled at him. Noriko theorizes uh, about Keiko's smile that uh, she loved him and was thanking him for making her smile in the way that she smiled in like the picture. Um, he says he knows the way off the island and they're going to get there, but he can only tell them when it's time. Then we hear Kamara, who volunteered for all this, is chasing another boy on a bike. Uh, they both agree that if they all get separated, they'll meet at the at this Takaro shrine. Kamara kills the boy, and as he walks away, we see the boy laying there and his eyes open. The boy, his weapon was a bulletproof vest. Second best weapon. Yeah. And as he laughs and laughs, he looks up, and there's Kamari with a fucking sword, a katana, and he's standing on top of the roof. He jumps down. Boy number four is dead. 20 to go. Yeah, it's like he was watching to make sure, because yeah. I'm, I'm guessing this kid has been shot before and then pretended like he was dead to let the other person just run away. Or it could be that, or if he's been, if he's volunteered for these, this isn't his only rodeo. I don't get the idea that he's volunteering for it, like he's just gonna go in and but slaughter that's what, all the kids. Right. That's they, what Kamara said, is that he's volunteered for this. Yeah. So this is probably not his only battle royale, and he probably doesn't have fun because he enjoys murdering. It's a possibility, or maybe like the winner gets set up for life, and maybe the more of these that he does, the more money he gets or something. Who knows? Something, yeah. Um. So Kamara hears them inside, and he throws a severed head in there with a grenade in its mouth. Uh, it explodes, and uh, Sharia uh, draws Kamara away, and he shoots him in the shoulder. Um, Hiroko hears them, checks his tracker device. Uh, Sheo, then trapped by Kamara, shoots him twice more in the chest. Shoots him dead in the chest. Uh, before he can uh, return fire, Shara jumps in off the cliff into the ocean. Uh, Hiroko then runs in, runs some interference, kind of turns him around, and also jumps in. Yeah, it's important to note that he had the bulletproof vest on and somehow got both his shirt and the suit coat over top of that yeah. without getting any of the blood from but the severed head. you don't know that until much later that he has it on. Well, when he's doing the shooting there, I thought he was shooting him in the chest, but he wasn't. He was. It, you like you don't see the bulletproof vest, though, so it's supposed to be a big surprise later. Yeah, but when they're shooting him, it's very clearly chest, a bulletproof vest. It's like, vest. come on, you're dying. Yeah, but like, how did he not get blood from the severed head all over the bulletproof vest that then soaked into his white shirt? Uh, talent? I mean, if he's been volunteering for these for who knows how many times. Yeah, I mean, he might know how to do some things. <laughs> Clearly, he has no problem waiting around to chop off a head just to get a bulletproof vest. Exactly. Um, we go back to the three amigos working on the bomb. Um, this kid wears a necklace and that was given to him by his uncle, and in the necklace is a trigger from an old bomb. He says they'll destroy the system and escape together. Yeah, apparently his uncle was an ex-anarchist or some shit. Yeah, he always said he had to fight for what's right. So, day two, and it's 12.30 p.m., Shia wakes up in a lighthouse uh, with a female classmate, Yuki. Yuki. She tells him Hiroko 
left him there and went on to go meet someone else. He said he was shot a few, uh, like three times, uh, and he's all bandaged up. He finds out he missed other updates, and we see that girl number one, Mashuro, and here's where I actually wrote down the names, and no, girl number 20, Kororo, they are dead. We see them like on the bottom of some bluffs with like a harpoon sticking out of them. One is a knife. And then we see boys number 13, Tachiguchi, and number 18, uh, Hata Jemi. They are also dead. And we see they're naked and all cut up. And we see Masuko walking away from them. She killed them. Okay. As we were trying to, as we were kind of talking about, some of these deaths are more drawn out and kind of described and shown in the book. Yeah. Like from what I remember, they actually well, kind you of described she, how they're happening. She seduced them. Like, right. hey, why don't we? Right. So they kind of talk about how like th- that has been happening and they develop those murders and stuff like that a little bit more. But the film obviously can't cram that much kid death into it. So the yeah. book is great for that because you actually like a lot of the stuff that they're talking about and a lot of the a lot of like how they get lured in or tricked and that sort of stuff. That's in the book. Yeah. So they condense that stuff down and then there's just like they show you the aftermath. So there's sort of like what they call Easter eggs now are like winks and nods to things that happen in the book. They just show you the aftermath and then tell you that the kids are dead. Yeah. But like some of those deaths that they show there are actually more expanded upon and you actually see how it happens or read how it happens in the book. Yeah. Um, and then it tells us there are 16 to go. Uh, she also had marked his map already uh, about all the new danger zones and states that they are currently safe. He uh, tells her about Kawada and their ability to get off the island. She says she and four other uh, or five other girls are all there hiding. Um, and then she starts asking if he likes you know uh, the other girls or any other girls. You can tell she has a crush on him. Yeah, because she's all about him and yeah. nobody else seems to be. Uh, one of the girls says she saw him and the other boy with the hatchet fight and him kill him. And he says that was actually an accident. They just fell. So she says, sorry, but they have to lock him in there till they know, but she'll go get him some food. So she locks him up in this upper floor. She heads down and they're all kind of, you know, they're actually kind of just being high school girls, kind of giggling about stuff, you know, kind of giving her crap for liking him and they're going to make some food for him. The other girl is just too scared about it and decides she has poison as her weapon and she drops it into his food. But one of the other girls takes the plate and starts eating it and then blood spurts out of her mouth and she dies. This is one of the things we were talking about where it's a little bit more expanded. It feels like in the movie where they're interpersonal relationships where they're talking, they're arguing over this kind of stuff. They're like talking about how somebody has a crush on some the guy yeah. upstairs while the other ones don't trust and then you see the one is like, you know, trying to kill the guy because she doesn't trust what's going to happen with all of her friends. Yeah. And then because she just left the plate there and then turned around and did something else, her other friend snagged it before it, it was too late. And what's really bad is everyone except for the one girl who put the poison in was on board and trusting him. But after the other girl dies, then everyone starts distrusting everyone. One girl picks up a newsie, starts threatening it, uh, and through one of those crazy mix-ups, uh, all the girls just start uh, shooting each other, and eventually all are dead except for the actual poisoner, who is still alive. She, um, Shauna can hear all the shooting, and he's freaking out, telling him to let him out. Well, the girl who had poisoned him, or was going to poison him, uh, opens up the door. He apologize. She apologizes, and she goes up to the top of the lighthouse, throws herself off of it, killing herself. We get the message that girls number two, number nine, number twelve, number sixteen, number seventeen, and number nineteen are dead. Ten to go. The thing I really love about this particular scene, and I really want to break it down, is the mask of civility that all of these 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 ladies are trying to wear. Yeah, and how they're like, you know, in this. De- quote unquote domestic bliss and they have watch out guards and they're all hauled up in this lighthouse and they're doing all this shit where they're like gonna just try and survive and they don't trust anybody but they're also just trying to like barricade themselves in and they're all gonna protect each other all it takes
takes for complete shit to happen, like to go completely nuts, is for a poisoning by mistake. And they all automatically mistrust everybody and they all just end up fucking wild bunching each other. Yeah. Like it's just a giant shootout and everybody dies. And it's and it's funny because, yeah, it's in what you're saying by accidental poisoning is right. Because while the girl meant to poison someone, poisoning him probably would not have caused the shootout. Yeah, one of the girls would have been heartbroken, but no one else would have freaked out about well, it. And how would anybody of, how would anybody know for sure that he was poisoned without yeah. being able to test him? He could have just died of his wounds. His wounds yeah. And, and then, yeah, but one of the healthy girls dies and it was one of the other girls who was really nice to everybody. And then, boom. That's all it took. Yeah. Like, just this. It's six dead right like that. Yeah, they all automatically go off on each other. Instead of just agreeing to just go their separate ways and split up because they don't trust each other. Yeah. They just slaughter each other out of fear and panic and, like, serious fear aggression. Yep. It, it just turns total animalistic within a matter of seconds. Oh, yeah. And I think this scene is, like, the crux of the entire film. That's why I'm spending so much time on it. It's a great That's scene. That's all it takes because the, that yep. fight or flight reflex, that, that fear aggression thing, whenever you're so terrified that someone or something is going to hurt you that you lashed out at it first to try and get a preemptive one, attack. It's very animalistic and, it's and a very, great, very one, well done. Yeah, and at one point, it's a great sort of standoff, too, with, like, you know, some great emotion and some great tension. Because before the shooting all starts, they all either have guns or, like, three of them have guns. The other two are just kind of screaming for everyone to settle down. Yeah. Everyone's pointing guns at one another. And it's just, it's fucking great tension-filled scene. Well, and anybody who gets shot and then falls down, if they drop their gun, one of the girls that doesn't have a gun picks up the gun and tries to shoot the other person. Yeah. And, like, everybody's shooting everybody, and it's literally the end of the fucking Wild Bunch at that point. Exactly. Um, Noriko dreams of when her and Kitano used to hang out. Uh, we then cut back to Kitano. He gets a phone call, and it's from his daughter, who does not particularly like him. Apparently, her mother is not doing much better. He says it will be another day before he can get home because he's out of town on business. She says, don't feel like you have to get home on my account. And then she says, don't breathe into the phone because your breath stinks. Weird. Yeah, but hurtful. Um, she actually tells Kawanda about her dream, and he was like, ah, oh, it must have been scary. Shauna has a vision of his dad's depression right before he started seventh grade there at a restaurant, and his dad's just like, I sent all those resumes. No one's ever going to hire me. I didn't do anything for you. You know, I, I never taught you anything. You know, he was just constantly depressed or had depression really yeah. bad. And then the meal is supposed to be like a celebratory thing for the son. Yeah. And he's like, you can have anything you want. He Don't gradu- worry about He's going me. into seventh grade. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're about to move up, and this is, you know, such a big deal. And he, he has like a couple moments where like he's kind of coming out of it, but then he goes right back into it. And like the way that that actor portrays the depression that he's feeling and the way the dialogue is delivered there just feels so dead on. Oh, it makes you sad. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you almost get drawn into it, too. You do. You're yeah. just like, oh, God, fuck. <laughs> You're like, man, I hear you, dude. I, I hear, hear you, man. You. I've been there so many times. Like, right now. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up and do the notes. Yeah, all right. <laughs> um, and then after that, we have a vision of his death, and then we have a vision of Naboo kind of calling to him, and he stayed with Naboo after his father's death, so that's why they were so close. Well, they were in the same orphanage together, yes. and they became really good friends because they shared a room or something like that? Yeah, it's yeah. exactly right. Uh, Noriko uh, is, she can hear uh, Shuana out in the distance, so she runs out and runs into uh, Mizuko, but before she can kill her, Kitano actually shows up, just kind of wandering there. Uh, as he does, Shuana also shows up. He kind of falls down and she's huddled over him and it's raining and Kitano gives her the umbrella and tells her not to catch a cold, and he leaves. It was kind of a funny exchange. Just, Don't catch cold, and he just whistles away. Eh. 
<laughs> fine. Like, yeah, they kind of established that a little bit later on with some dream sequences, and then uh, in this extended version, the Requiems. Yeah, they explain that a little bit better. Yeah, they have a they had a relationship. She was one of the better kids. Whether or, or she not was the it only was, one to show up to class. Whether or not it was a friendship or something more sinister, they don't really say. Uh, I I believe they kind of do say. Um, he always considered her more of a daughter than his own daughter. His own daughter hated him. And he does say that. Yes. Yeah. So that's why he gives her the umbrella and also yeah. why he doesn't really do anything. And you're going to find out more why he really doesn't do anything. Shia tells her that he is weak and useless, kind of starting to sound like his dad, but then changes his tone <laughs> from his father. He can barely fucking walk. He's got tons of bullets. No, but I mean, the way he makes himself seem, you think he's going the route of his dad, but then says, I will never leave your side. And he goes, uh, and then they're joined by Kamara. So he's like, but I won't be like my dad and like leave just because I feel this way. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying it's wrong. He should like, he's like, he's shot, but you could tell that's kind of coming from also a depressive point. I think thinking about all that other stuff. Well, I mean, it's kind of hard not to be a little bit um, depressed and angry and a bunch of other mixed emotions whenever you're stuck on an Island yeah. being forced to murder but everyone's your trying to kill you in order to survive. <laughs> yeah. Like I totally get where he's coming from. I would and be I'm cool thoroughly depressed. I'd be bummed out too. Yeah, it would not be a good time for all. Uh, we cut to Hiroko, who was also shot. We can see he's kind of got, he was shot in the shoulder, and he's kind of weakened now. He's looking for Kyoko, and he has tracked her to this warehouse. As he's looking around, he screams out for her, and it scares her, so she stands up and shoots him, not knowing that he loves her. In fact, she even says, you've never said a word to me. But he tells her to run away, because someone might have heard that. And he just wanted to save her, and he loves her. And then we get some flashbacks to basketball. It's kind of when they were all together, all having fun. They all had a good time. A lot of the basketball, basketball stuff was added for this extended edition. Uh-huh. And a lot of these uh, dream sequences and stuff like that were stretched out and shown more for this extended edition slash director's cut. Um, and this is some of the character development stuff that you kind of see. And it's non-linear storytelling. Yeah. Where they give you a little bit more of an idea of what's happening. Uh, she cries and mourns and asks what she should do now. And that's when Mitsuki shows up and tells her to die and kills her. Uh, then we get the sign that says girl number eight and boy number 11 are dead. Eight left. Yeah. We get a flashback to when Mizuku was sold by her drunk mother to a pedophile. And as he explained, uh, they went upstairs and he explains to her with a doll that he wants to address her and says now it's time for her to be undressed. She says no and pushes him down the stairs killing him. That a girl. There you go. Uh, then we cut back to present day and she is shot by Kamaro. Uh, as he goes to check her out she tases him and then tries to stab him but uh, actually she does stab him but then we find he is wearing the vest this whole time yeah when she slashes him it's a big reveal of the vest even yeah. though people who know how bulletproof vests work can figure it out when he's being shot and he just killed the guy with the yeah. bulletproof vest uh he then kills her and we have girl number 11 is dead seven to go yeah i was really sad to see her go she was one of my favorite characters yeah she was i mean <laughs> she was angry but fuck man if you had that kind of childhood it's gonna happen yeah and I wasn't kidding when I said that the people with the most trauma or the most um, just well, trauma, trauma in general, whether yeah. it was like the abuse that she was about to suffer and then basically murdered the guy to save herself. Yeah. For lack of a better term. I mean, she killed him to stop him. Yeah. Um, Shuya with his father's suicide left him marked in such a way. Um, and then our main hero that's got the Rambo bandana, like he already been through this game and his... The woman he loved shot him at one point and then he had to kill her. Right. And the reason that she shot him was to prompt him to kill her to save his life, I do believe, is what they were getting at in that that exchange. But he has that trauma left behind, 
Wade, and then you have the other guy that's just psychotic and just wants to kill everybody. Yeah. Who is probably my favorite character in the whole film. <laughs> well, we have a six-game report of the dead. The three, uh, uh, Noruku uh, and Shuna, and uh, they go to decide to meet the three amigos uh, because they know they're still alive and they want to go check and see how they're doing. And we have more basketball flashbacks. Uh, we cut to the three amigos building the bomb. Uh, they actually hacked the system. We see the system getting hacked and they start to rewrite everything and shutting off security protocols, including the um, callers. The callers. Yeah. Uh, and at bo- that point, when everyone's freaking out, the teacher just goes ahead and shuts everything down. So they're in the dark. He pulls the Samuel L. Jackson at Jurassic Park. Yeah, he just pulls the plug on everything power wise yep. and then reboots. Yeah. Uh, they uh, make the truck bomb, but then Kamararu shows up and just starts shooting. He's able to kill all of them, but not before one of them sets off the truck bomb, blowing sh- shit sky high. We get the notice that boys number two, number 12, and number 19 are dead or to go. Yeah, this is where I think he turns, like, it's pretty similar to how he turns on his own gang and then what ends up happening to him. Yeah. I think in the book. Again, I'm I'm going by my memory when I listened to the audiobook like ages ago, so if I'm completely wrong, someone can correct me in the groups. The other three show up seeing the wreckage and Kumara emerges. Kawanda goes to confront him and we see that Kamara's eyes have been blown out from the explosion. However, he hears Kawanda pump his shotgun. He shoots at him, but Kawanda is able to kill him. Boy number six is dead. Three to go. How badass did that digital eyeless effect look? That's that pretty fucking cool. For like 99-2000, that was really decent. That was really decent. Yeah. Uh, Kawanda was also shot in the fight and they're down at the beach and we cut to the soldiers and everybody. We see the system is back up and running and they are listening to Kawanda talk to the other two. He stated to the other two that they will never get off this island, that he was using them to escape and told them not to trust anybody. He then fires two shots and then we get the image saying game over at 4.30 a.m. The military leaves Kitano and he exercises by himself until uh, Kamado shows up. Uh, Kitano, yeah, while they're inside sitting there, Kitano tries to actually activate the collar on Kawanda and notices that it, find, and that it doesn't work. He actually accuses Kawando and says that Kawando had probably hacked the system weeks ago and it was never the other boys who hacked the system. Um, Kawando pretty much agrees. He says, yeah, I hacked this before we got here. Um, uh, Nobriko and Shawana show back up and Kitano uh, had actually shows a painting of her sitting there alive with everyone else dead. He had actually planned that she would live throughout this whole thing and that the rest would die. Yeah, he tried to set it up in such a way to make that happen, yeah. I think if I think she was always going to get down there. He, would, he was going to pull any punch he could. If they were monitoring like that, he'd probably just activate a collar if somebody was going to get ready to kill her. Possibly, yeah, but yeah. like he was really making the odds ever be in her favor, Matt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it, but I get it. <laughs> no, no, you have. You watched Battle Royale. I, watched Battle Royale. I forget. I keep forgetting. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you've seen it. Uh, he wants her to shoot and kill him. Uh, she won't, and he brings out a gun, and Shrio actually shoots him. But we see Kitano, oh, the gun he had was just a water pistol. As he lay there, and you think he's dead, the phone rings, and he gets right up like nothing happened, goes over, sits down, and answers it. It's his daughter. He 
yells at her, tells her she doesn't know a thing, throws the phone down, takes out a real gun, and shoots it. It shoots the phone, and then promptly dies. Pretty decent on-screen death for a villain. I, I loved it that he popped right up, picked up the phone, yelled at his own daughter, then just threw the phone down, shot it, had one more cookie for the road, and then died. Pretty much. Yeah. I get the feeling that he always wanted it to end this way, where he wanted her to show up and then kill him. I, I think, think so. I think that's what he wanted, and he didn't care that she had the assist, because he was just happy that um, she survived. I love when he popped up and all their faces, like, oh shit, he's gonna kill us, and nope, just goes answer the phone, throws it, shoots it, dies. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty funny. And you kind of get the idea of this guy's comedic timing and yeah. how funny he actually probably was. I, I, I would fucking love to see some comedy shit he did because I bet it's really good. Yeah, because he's got really good comedic timing the way he yeah. pops up and his, all that delivery. His timing, I laugh. I audibly laugh. I'm like, this whole movie, I hadn't really laughed a lot. I've been like, holy shit, this is pretty awesome. But I yeah. haven't laughed. And then i like, what? Jesus Christ, you're just throwing something hilarious right there at the end. Uh, they just, needed a little bit of levity, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we are, and now we cut to a boat. And we are heading home. Kawanda says, of course, he knows how to get us home. His father was a fisherman. Uh, Which is a thing that he's been saying, like his father yeah, was a chef. And yeah. All these all these various skills that he has are because his father did this particular job, and that's why he's so good at whatever he does. Yeah. Uh, he lays down and is dying from his wounds, but he says he's happy. He solved the smile and the thank you. He says that the same as she, he was glad he had found a true friend, and he dies. We cut to the two are now wanted for murder. Um, as they're walking through the city, we find out she sneakily, she snuck into her parents' house while they were sleeping and said goodbye to them. But she also grabbed the butterfly knife that was used to actually cut the teacher at the beginning and gave it to him. Uh, we then go back to uh, Noriko and Kitano hanging out in that same kind of flashback she had. They're enjoying some ice cream. She actually tells him that she had the knife and that she doesn't know, you know, why she kept it, uh, but she asked if they can be, keep it their secret. He said yes, and he said, I just don't know if you can tell me things and how you would talk to an adult. And these uh, these Requiem things are like yeah. from the earlier flashbacks that they expanded. And yeah. This one, you actually hear the dialogue of the two of them hanging out. Uh-huh. Whereas in her dream sequence, it's she just them hanging silent. out. Right. Um, so they actually found a way to give you some more character depth after yeah. the fact with this, with these quote unquote Requiems. But they're just like little added bonus level things that they're telling you story-wise. Well, there's a couple of them though. Yeah, they go through, but the last thing is that he, like the whole thing is, is how can you talk to how can a child talk to an yeah. adult and how can we it, the, the the end message is how can we talk to that yeah well there's they show the basketball game yeah they show that they won they show all these different requiem things but that is yeah. the most important one you're yeah. absolutely right it's, because that's what comes down to the whole movie is that communication bit is what i felt and that's kind of the whole movie thing adults don't know how to talk to kids so they decide to kill them roll credits This is fucking fun. <laughs> I did not know how much fun I was in for. Yeah, and you watch the uh, the longer, more ponderous director's cut. Um, yeah. The theatrical cut is a little bit more lean and mean and just gets right to the point with everything. Mm-hmm. There's not as much of this like ponderous philosophical stuff, but then if we were just doing that, then I'm just literally clapping and cheering for all the dead kids. <laughs> You're just like, Ooh, yeah, it's, a, right. it's an hour-long podcast of you being a woo girl. <laughs> kind of, yeah. 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 But I, I wanted to dig in a little bit more, and I think you got the crux of it right right there is because the older generation doesn't know how to communicate with or find a way to have anything in common with and may even forget what it's like to be in the position of youth. Yeah. Like so many problems that happen between adults and teens is that most adults forget just how bad it sucks to be a teenager. Yeah. I mean, you're full of raging hormones. Your 
emotions are off the charts all the fucking time. You're not in control of any of that stuff. And while you're at it, you're jammed into a fucking room with a bunch of other kids that are just as fucked up as you are. And all you do is just cause damage to each other for like eight hours a day. And then you get sent home and you can't communicate what's wrong with you to an uncaring fucking older adult who's just like, oh, when it was my day, we got bullied. So, you know, who cares? Well, and it's also adults do this. And I remember seeing this in How I Met Your Mother. When everyone was like, uh, Marshall was thinking about quitting his job, but then on his last day, you know, he had this great experience. You know, he had all these fond memories and like Sarah McLaughlin songs were playing while he was having all these memories. And they explained to him, you know, you, just, the same thing happens to people after high school. Like high school is usually fucking terrible. No one loves it. And then you sometimes when people get out, they look back at it with this fondness that they never had during that time because they don't, for some reason, you don't want to remember all the shit times. So you hammer those away. You take the few two minutes of uh, happiness you may have had and you expand that to make it seem like it was better. And so adults probably do that with teenage years. They go, they forget about the wall-to-wall fucking hormones just battering your fucking cerebellum and they think about like the one and two laughs they had with a friend. Yeah, and they also forget the universal truth of none of us asked to be here. Yeah. All of us are terrified to not be here. Uh And it's only whenever part of us becomes so upset about not being here anymore or so depressed or just can't handle anymore that they decide to check out. Yeah. Because otherwise you're just trying to find a reason to exist. Yes. And when you feel like you don't fit in and you feel like you don't belong, it makes it that much harder to be locked in a room with a bunch of people that you can't stand, you don't understand. And I'm actually going by my experience. I was miserable constantly from the time I had to start school until I finally graduated high school. It wasn't until I actually got to college to where I actually like found people that I could actually hang out with and enjoy. I had like two really good friends that were dudes that I was in a band with in high school and that was pretty much it. There was a lot of um, female friends that I had, um, both good and bad reasons why. You whore. I was. I was such a fucking whore. Uh, I really, really, I was naughty. (laughs) Um, Which is probably why I didn't have a lot of male friends. Probably not. But anyway. um, You didn't have time. No, I I remember what that was like. I I remember how that feels. So when I'm watching the movie, yes, I can absolutely put my frame of reference into the mind of the kid. And I, I play it up that I hate kids and all of that kind of stuff. And yes, I do feel that mostly teenagers are all assholes, but at the same time, it's not their fucking fault. They, well, they're not in control of themselves. Their emotion, the yeah, they're emo- like people will say it all the time. Little kids are the fucking devil because they'll tell you the truth no matter fucking how harsh it sounds. Yeah, they'll, they'll tell you they'll, exactly they'll what's on their mind. They'll say horrific things to you, but it's because they fucking, they're still developing. And people like, you see these parents who like really start screaming at kids and like, you, know, you can just talk to them, right? Say, hey, don't say things like that, okay? Why? Because it's not polite. And that helps develop them. But you see parents like fucking yell and all this shit because adults don't fucking understand kids anymore. Or, or, well, they never have. But fuck, you got to have some patience. That's the whole point of being a parent is you're supposed to have this ultimate patience. Yeah, but the yelling and screaming is a lot better than a quick backhand saying shut the fuck up. That's, I mean, yeah, there's steps, but it's still not good. (laughs) There's a reason why some of us have problems with developing empathy, Matt. Yeah. I'm just saying. (laughs) The yelling and the screaming and then there's just the plain ignore and pretending like you don't exist yeah. because you're inconvenient and in the way. I mean, parents fuck up kids Have left and right. Have you been watching me parent? Because I, <laughs> I asked you not to do that. <laughs> no, I was actually bringing up and share oversharing again, but oh. Jesus Christ, you're going to turn your kid into me. Do you want that? I could go home and hug my boy. <laughs> 
Yes. And you know that shit. That's not true because my boy and I, it's so funny. I make that joke. And sometimes I think I am that way. I get so scared that I'm so dismissive of my son uh, because he likes to be kind of a bit of a loner. He likes his alone time. Uh, Being an only child, I think that's just how it is. He's probably an introvert. Yeah. He's a bit of an introvert. Uh, But yeah, he hugs me every day when I come home. I hug him. We hug each other at night. Uh, He always come into the room. I'll be already in bed and he'll come to the room, get ready to go to bed himself and he'll tell me goodnight. I'll tell him goodnight and he goes to bed. So, but we always hug each other. We always talk. We always hang out, you know, um, well, he'll, at the age that he's at, which is pretty close to where we're talking about these kids. Yeah. In this film, yeah. Um, basically that's the best you're going to hope for, if not better. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with how he is personality wise. You guys aren't ending up in a fist fight or practically a fist fight nearly every no, night. We wrestle around for fun, but like, like just like it's cause he's taller than me now. So he likes to like, you know, give me crap and I'll try to fight him and uh, not fail for real, but and fail miserably and fail miserably yeah. every time. There's a difference between play fighting wrestling yeah, and yeah. actually fighting. Yeah. Yeah. We're not actually fight. Yeah. We're play fighting wrestling, yeah. but you know, uh, it's just, uh, it's one of those fucking things, man. You, you always go to bed and it well, for How about not everybody? For me, I always go to bed thinking I've done a shit job at everything all day long. When it comes to this podcast, that's absolutely true. I know. <laughs> and when it comes to being a husband and a father and a provider, it's absolutely true. <laughs> but occasionally, like a savant, you get something right. Yeah, yeah. I just fail upwards sometimes. Sometimes. Not a lot. Sometimes. Your parenting style is pretty much the Ashley J. Williams versus the Evil Dead style. It really is. It really is. I do some fucked up shit, but for some reason, it works. The crux of the, the film, like I said, you nailed it so that, that hits the final thoughts perfectly. The older generation just does not know how to communicate with nor care to communicate with the younger generation because they forgot what it was like to be in their place. And, it, it, and that's it, the crux of this entire film. And it's always film. fear because, all right, the American Music Awards were just on, right? Uh, I, I literally, my wife was watching it. I walk into the room and they do the very beginning where they say like all the names of people who are going to be on the show that night. And it's the American Music Awards. So it's like all like all what was trending right now. I maybe recognize two names and the rest of it, I had no fucking idea. I mean, I'm like, those aren't even names. They're not even proper words. Like they seem like verbs to me. I was like that as a teenager when that kind of shit was yeah. on because I didn't care about any of that stuff. So yeah, but it just hit me. But at least it te- maybe I didn't listen to it as a teenager, but I knew of it. You know, I knew what was there. I don't know what's there anymore. And I, then I think adults just don't know like, what's that, I, but what's then you don't want to be that. The Grandpa what? Simpson thing, I used to be with it. And now Yes, I, I used to be with it. Now they changed what it was. Now what I'm with is it, it what is it? Seems strange and scary to me. Exactly. And it's fucking true. That's the it crux is of so it. fucking true. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break here. We're going to play a promo for another podcast. We'll have a little bit music befitting of the Battle Royale franchise. And when we come back, we're going to jump forward in time and cover Battle Royale 2. What the hell is this, the wonderful Billy Flynn? Just some podcast that's supposed to be geeky, Podcasting's Rich Sigfrid. Did you try it? I'm not going to try it. You try it. Psst, screw that noise. I'm not going to try it. Hey, Flinstress, let's get Mikey. Do you mean critically acclaimed comedy rock star Mikey Mason, who hosts the Beer Power Time Machine podcast? Yeah, but he won't listen. He hates everything. Hi, I'm critically acclaimed comedy rock star Mikey Mason. I don't often listen to podcasts, but when I do, make mine Geek Radio Daily. Hey, hey, hey man, that, that's a different promo. Between love and madness lies Geek Radio Daily. That's kind of accurate. There are some things money can't buy. GRD is free online. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Geek Radio Daily. Eh, we'll take it. 
Geek Radio Daily. All the geek without the weight. GeekRadioDaily.com they mean ball sack or if that's something different over there but no, I'm, I'm sure it's what it is the band's name is ball zack spelled with a z and they are a heavily misfits uh influenced visual kai or visual k band I'm not sure exactly what the actual terminology is but it's basically a band that's based around like uh theatrics and performance of a visual nature which is why they're called visual kai or visual k or however it's stated and uh, like I said, they're heavily influenced by the Misfits, and one of their guys would basically come out with a bag over his head, wearing one of those skeleton onesie-type uh, outfits that you would see on Halloween underneath it, and he's covered in fake blood. At least I hope it's fake blood, oh, but all the photos I've seen, he's, he's covered in fake blood. Very interesting, very cool band, and if you want to hear a little bit more about me talking about hanging out with them, check out that Bullshit Artist episode that I did with Boz. Hey, shameless plug. There you go. All right, so uh, a lot of stuff to talk about for Battle Royale 2 for me none of wait, which has to on, do with the on. actual movie. Hold on. Wait a second. What do you mean 2? Battle Royale 2 Requiem. Yeah. I, there's another one? Am I supposed to watch that? <laughs> God damn it, Matt. This is a full uh, franchise fest. That implies that there is at least two films to deal with. Oh, uh, you know, you're not wrong. Huh. How about that? Okay, well. so the movie that you have the notes for tonight, since we have time traveled into the future to cover this. Yes. Does it involve kids killing each other in a war type situation? Yeah, it's, it's Battle Royale. I thought it was just a really long movie. Uh, okay, so you're talking about the kids that were put into fatigues and sent to an island to go kill someone else, right? Uh, is that part two? Yeah, that's part two. So we're good. Just pick we're up. Good. Okay. Pick, pick up your notes. My ignorance did not cause us any problems. Yeah, pick up the notes right where you basically would have left off where those kids that get the fatigues, like where their bus, you know, the, the start of that movie. It should basically be Battle Royale 2, colon, record. Let's see here. Let me check here. Battle Royale 2. In my notes, pick up. Back when I was a young child, I never felt loved by my... I'm sorry. Wait, that's wrong notes. Okay, I got the right notes. Yeah, you shouldn't read the notes that your uh, son wrote to his doctor. That's just not cool. Those are the notes from my doctor. I stole them from his office. (laughs) 
You know, reading them back, I really do sound like a whiny little bitch. Yeah, no one's arguing that. (laughs) Uh, Go get another tattoo there, punky. All right. So we are uh, three years removed from the first movie. Uh, We see two skyscrapers fall into ruins. Uh, We get a note telling us that it is now the age of terrorism. And if you pay attention right after that note that says the age of terrorism, more fall. And it's like three or four in a row that fall. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. A ton of buildings just are destroyed. Shuna has become the leader of a group called the Wild Seven. In uh, the name of justice, the adults have made a new game uh, for the, uh, and it's called the Millennium Terrorist Act. BR2. Shuna uh, and his group has said they will declare war on every last adult. Um, we then cut to we see a young girl. Is she sleeping next to the painting of Naruku that was done in the first movie? We find that her name is Shirori Kitano and she is the teacher's daughter from that first movie. She at first thought the painting was of her, but then, you know, doing more research, she found out it was of Naruku. Uh, she is going to join the battle royale willingly to try to determine what exactly happened. Yeah, is it that or is she's trying to seek revenge? Because they, they don't make that clear until like it shifts gears towards the end of the movie. See, at first, in that scene, she says she's going to look for answers. But you kind of get the feeling that maybe she's targeting. Yeah, but when but, she says she's looking for answers, it's kind of like the way that I say it's time to take your medicine. No, <laughs> I mean, you might not be wrong. I was just stating what they, she was saying. No, I'm just talking about the impression that I got because, yeah. uh, let's face it, the metaphor is not even a metaphor in in this film. It's just like right out in your face. It's like slapping you in the face with it like a Republican senator's dick in a public toilet. Yeah, I mean, they... <laughs> it's... it's That's hard. So that's some hardcore slappage. It's slapping you like a teenager slaps the meat to his bikini girl model freaking poster on his wall. Yes. It it is uh, inappropriate and it is sexual and it is all up in your face and you don't want it. It's non-consensual face rubbing of meat. So it's it's just like a Republican's date. Yeah, exactly. We're all back around full circle. I mean, the metaphor is (laughs) just out there waving right in the open. Like I said, there's no subtext. It's all text in this one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We cut to a rugby rugby game and she states she is Joined a middle school of kids that all adults have written off, that these are just kids that nobody wants to have anything to do with. Ruffians of the sort. She has purposely put herself into a school that she knows will get selected for the Battle Royale. Like, she is purposely setting this up. Exactly. Uh, On a bus ride, everyone is uh, signing a rugby ball, and we see their teacher is sleeping. They go into a tunnel, and, well, you know what happens when these buses go into tunnels? Yeah, Uh, if you're in Japan, and you're on a bus, don't allow it to go into a tunnel or exit the bus before the tunnel. Yeah, exactly. Also, be over 20, apparently, in this universe. <laughs> and, of course, now we are surrounded at an army base. The kids wake up on the bus, and they're all wearing the collars. The press are outside, and they say they are the first to play under the new rules. Uh, of course, there are 42 kids again, and then the press is calling them all losers. So, like, look at these losers. It's like, you know, go fuck yourself. Jesus. And don't the kids are like, don't they wake up with the collars and the fatigues are on, some of them? Uh, the fatigues aren't on yet, but the collars are on. And the, But then magically, when they get off the bus, the, the fatigues are on. So uh, it, it's kind of weird editing there, I think. Uh, but let's just go with they wake up, the fatigues are on, the collars are on. Yeah, because I didn't, I, I wasn't paying that close attention to the stuff in the bus 
plus because I was like getting really serious deja vu. Yeah, right. You know, and I was like, look, I hope the odds are ever in your favor, guys. But uh, I've seen this before. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They are pushed into a caged room with a white line down the center of it. Their teacher then walks in uh, and he is now all sorts of leather clad and acting just insane, wishing everyone a Merry Christmas and throwing the rugby ball around. But he's gone a little bit mad here. He then lists the countries. um, He then starts listing countries and the students are kind of getting thrown around by the army guys and they're thrown onto the line. So they're sitting kind of on the center of the room. He states that all the countries he listed uh, were all bombed by America in the last 60 years. Um, He states the wild seven have been barricaded on the island. Uh, A kid freaks out, gets up and tries to throw a knife, but it misses him. Like it lands Uh beautifully. It's a really nice way that it hits with the point. It's just that it's like two to three inches away from the guy's head where he was aiming. Exactly. He also mentions that the cost of raising children now, Japan can no longer afford to raise them. Yeah, this is what I was alluding to during our last review in the past, where they are talking about how children are too expensive and that basically they've invest all this money. And essentially the Battle Royale Act is a way to recoup some of that by alleviating their final uselessness, because if they don't make it past this particular grade that they're in, then they're not worthwhile. And is it just one class every year that they just minimize it by? Or is it? do you get the feeling it's multiple classes? I think they do multiple classes a year. This is just this particular program, and they're weeding these and this folks is the, out. Well, it's a brand new program now, and this is going to be the first class to fight it. And the reason, it, and they also state the reason it is, is because um, he states that because kids are instigating this war, kids are going to fight against the kids in the war. And the army starts bringing in supply bags. Yeah, this is a little bit weird because the metaphor that they're trying to stretch here about how the kids started this war because of the terrorism and all... I mean, it is the terrorism is a direct response to what the adults have been doing. Yet the older people are still the adults are blaming the kids for this because they're like, well, if you would just be like normal kids like we were, then this wouldn't be a problem. And then it just becomes this like going around of like logical fallacy argument back and forth between the kids and the adults. The cognitive dissonance is strong. Yeah, and it just, it plays out for, like, the rest of the movie. Like, that's what this movie is about. And it's it's basing its whole entire argument over two different logical fallacies, which basically can be equated to the boomer anthem, we didn't start the fire. I mean, that's basically the argument on both sides on this. You know, you, know, you bring that song up. It is so weird because, you know, when it first came out, it was Billy Joel saying, you know, we didn't do this, or the generation previous to us did. And, and, but now, but his generation did to the rest of us and we're all kind of sitting it's a round robin man everyone fucks it up for everyone else right that's what's interesting about this movie is this particular logical fallacy that i'm bringing attention to i believe this is the crux of the story where both generations are blaming each other for basically things that are kind of both of their faults yeah. like but, like we're burning like the idea is that the younger generation is burning the world because they don't want the world that they've been inherited and they'd rather have ash and rebuild it like a phoenix and then the old people are like well if you would just stop burning the world and just let us burn the world, then you would be able to still get your Phoenix. And we're like, no, fuck you. We're going to burn the world that you're burning. Like, that's yeah. what's well, going on. Here's here's what happened. The world was shit. America was shit. And then John Kennedy became president and was fighting to give us a chance. Then we shot him and killed him. And that's Wait, are when you confessing? Fa- you shot him? <laughs> like, it's your yeah, fault? You know, I, if I was that old, it still looked... I'm not saying I look good now, but I would look good for that age. That'd be amazing. But I'm just saying, it's just 
society, whatever, someone killed him. And then the fates decided to say, well, that's it. America, you can't have anything nice anymore. And it's all been shit since. So basically what you're going to draw this back to is John Kennedy got shot and therefore America is a bunch of cunts. Yeah. No, you're you're dead on. That's that's quite correct. And the reason (laughs) that we keep bringing up America and the uh, overabundance of cunts therein is because in this film, they play a pretty pretty big cunt role. Yeah. And also like Japan is just directly stating uh, or the the folks that are in Japan are just basically directly stating that the country that everybody has to deal with and has to put up with is insisting on this. So their solution is kill all the teenagers. But this is just in Japan that this battle royale act is going on. But you get the feeling that America being the bunch of cunts that they are, are the ones that made the other countries impose this. And perhaps the bombing was like, get your population under control or we'll curb it for you. Yeah, something like that. Which which is a little too close to home on what America is actually doing in this fucking world. Sorry, but it's true. You're not wrong. Very not wrong. (laughs) I'm a little disgusted by how right that actually is. Yeah, right. I'm a little little mad that a movie out in the early 2000s is very closely matching what's happening right now. (laughs) Well, and what has been happening long before that movie was even created. Like, you're not wrong. I'm just saying it's it's at its worst right now. Right. I mean, there's a reason why uh, they culturally usurp the most famous group of terrorists um, in this film and basically are pointing fingers back at the United States. Because once again, as far as Japan is concerned, we didn't start the fire. It was always burning. Like, that's the crux of this entire film is, well, we didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. Battle Royale 2, it will be a new war game. You are to hunt down and kill Shuya, and if you do that, you win. You have 72 hours to do so. Uh, On the white line, he states that any players to the right are winners, and all that stand to the left will be losers. Do you just see people line dancing in your head when they talk about this? Right. And then he starts calling out names. Uh, I'm not going to go through them all. He just starts calling them out. Right. It's We've seen this before. He goes through we've the numbers. Yeah. Some um, people resist. Some people jump in line. And then somebody yeah. gets a little mouthy. Let's just skip ahead it, past that. It, does, it doesn't get interesting until we get to boy number 15. He's called and he will not cross the line. The girl 15 does. Um, the boy says he will not fight. And he, he's holding the rugby ball. He's one of the rugby players. He said he the teacher counts to three and one of the military guys shoots him in the leg to uh, Takuma who was boy number one begs him who's his friend to come back over the line he says he's being crazy he says he will not and then is shot in the head we get out a sign that says boy number 15 dead 41 to go as they mourn boy 15 girl 15's collar starts beeping that's when the teacher lets them know if your partner dies you die as well your collar will explode she kind of goes um, a little crazy. Uh, and, oh, by the way, the teacher turns around. He has a collar on as well. Yeah. Um, so, like, the teacher has to drive this mission forward because he's responsible to make sure that it happens or he dies in this yeah. one, which is different. Kitano is just tired of life uh, in the first movie and hates kids and just wants to watch them die. So I can, adv- I can like, really, you know, kind of identify with Kitano in the first movie, whereas this guy feels like a reject from the Matrix attempting to be hip and trendy and cool and wants to be young again and like misses 
is his glory days. Hence the <laughs> matrixy outfit and uh, trying to act all like calm and cool when he's, he's hip. Yeah. He's with it. Yeah, because he's on fleek. Yeah, because he is every bit with it as what they are. He's not like me and Katana, who whatever it was is no longer it, and whatever yeah, yeah, it yeah. is now, are both terrified of it. <laughs> we are. I am definitely terrified of most of it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so as she runs around, her collar explodes, killing her, getting a good spray of blood out of it. And we get assigned girl 15 dead, 40 left. The rest then eagerly agree and are given guns and they hop on boats for the island. We are told that it is now 6 a.m. on December 23rd. The game is beginning. Mission one, the landing maneuver. Uh, while riding in, uh, the boats, they are told to check out their navigators and that there are several zones in the island and every hour, a new danger zone will pop up. You're in the zone, your collar blows up. They are So basically what they're doing now is they are using these zones to herd them into essentially their own like D-Day Normandy beach, right? Like yeah, it's hoard, it's going to hoard uh, hoard them to or hoard them uh herd them. them herd them to the main base uh to to murder, you know, to kill uh Shiano. Yeah. yeah. And they're not landing in an area where they would be able to sneak in and go all like SEAL Team 6 stealthy. They're storming the beaches like it's fucking Normandy. Like they yeah. really overplay the metaphor in this one quite a bit. This is very, very much Normandy. Yeah. Uh, where well, it's life is cheap and we've got plenty of youth going around that we can't afford. So let's let them all die. Uh, some no, clips. Well, I mean, I mean, it's war anyway. That's what war is. It's old people sitting in a room dictating stuff they want and sending young people to go die for it when really we should be sending those old fucks to battle not like they got anything left to live for they're old well except for their money and their power apparently yeah but we're gonna take that soon matt because we didn't start the fire it was always burning dude uh as they are going uh we see um they are attacked from the island lots of bullets are going around a few people get shot and when they die their partners start dying well two of the people whose collars explode are right next to the boat engines and so two boats explode due to the collars well, uh, and some bombs were shot out too they have like rocket launchers that hit yeah. them too and that blows up a boat or two yeah and then we so we get 12 dead 48 to go so that's a that's a hefty mark there out of 42 14 are already gone before you even step in foot on the island uh just like my boy thanos said this day's price extracts a heavy toll or something along <laughs> those lines yes yes <laughs> um the rest that get to the island they storm it and they um uh they're getting bullets just flying bombs are going off whether they're i don't know if they're bombs that were planted in the ground as booby traps or as their rocket launchers hitting them but that everything like going, a mine that may be placed in the land yeah like a mine yeah um <laughs> one kid uh gets blown up and he tells uh, one of his buddies to make sure he kills shawana uh he then dies and then his partner freaks out she runs away and she explodes and she dies two dead 26 to go there are so many deaths like we before we hit the hour mark, there's like half the kids gone, yeah. and they don't even get past mission one before half yeah. the kids are dead. Yeah. Well, now we're at mission two, the ammo drop. So we're we're getting ready. We're getting ready to get the ammo. 
Um, they uh, secure the ammo and kind of get all hunkered down, get their ammo filled up. They have grenade launchers, too, on their machine guns. Uh, can we talk about the weapons that these kids are given just real quick? Yes. Okay. So that gun is what is known as a bull pop. Have you ever heard of that type of gun, bull pop? Yeah. Do you know what that means? No. Basically, just a quick rundown. It's the action and everything that happens with the shell being expelled uh, by the gases whenever it's shot back, and then the actual uh, cartridge that's left behind once the shell has uh, you know been shot out. Um, the cartridge just flies off to the side. All of that action, everything is put to the back of the rifle so that all the weight is back there, everything is transferred back there. What it does is it ends up making a shorter rifle with a longer barrel with a longer barrel rifle, but it's all, all the action is put to the back, all the weight is put to the back, and it makes it a little more steady of a shot. Um, You see a lot of these like fancy futuristic looking wannabe type guns um, that are made like bull pops uh, of of that that type. It's the type of rifle that I've always been really fascinated with because it's like a really cool engineering marvel that they make them work, particularly the automatic style. And um, the one that they have here uh, is, they're all bull pops. You can tell because the clips are all at the back. You know, that's that's where they're being fed in at. I, I use a lot of the those in uh, 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 in uh, Grand Theft Auto, so yeah. There's this particular one that um, is like a Japanese model that uh, I became obsessed with these from from firing them uh, in the Punisher video game from the early 2000s. And they do a really good job in video games of making it to where they can show you, like they show you just how steady of a shot it is or how much easier it is to shoot it, because most of the velocity kicks back and ejects the cartridge after it's fired with this particular type of design, and they most of them use the gas to to do that with. And so what it ends up doing is it makes it to where you have a better center of gravity while you're firing multiple shots so that your uh, muzzle is not, you know, drifting too much off target to bring it back. So, like, it's a little bit more accurate for rapid fire. Yeah. I I wanted to point that out because you can tell whenever the kids are firing these guns, um, they actually did that pretty accurately because they're able to hold those guns in certain ways that, like, when they're firing the Kalashnikovs, those are all over the place, but the kids are firing these newer, more high-tech bullpops style rifles that that have that improved accuracy for multiple shots and you can tell that like they're doing a lot better with them and I I really appreciated that and then also last thing I wanted to state because most of the weight is transferred to the back in a bullpup attaching a grenade launcher or um, other type of thing that would ordinarily throw more weight to the front of a rifle and make you more fatigued for holding it forward it tends to make the rifle more balanced that way so when you have that that like balanced rifle with the grenade launcher on the front uh, you get less fatigue well, obviously the weight is still the weight, but it's more evenly distributed, so it's more balanced and it's easier to hold a balanced weight than it is an off-balance weight. You know, that's where you get more fatigued, and therefore it makes it more accurate and it makes it easier to fire, and then it centers the gravity. And uh, some of the kids you saw where they're firing rockets and the gun at the same time, I don't think you can do that, but whatever. It still looks cool. After they secure the ammo and they press on, a girl named Nayo is hit in the shoulder. Uh, when another boy goes to check on her, he is hit by by an explosion. They pull him into one of like the enclaves, like a little shack, and then his collar starts going off. They don't know why, but then they find out his partner is pinned down in a danger zone. They they coax her over to them where they'll be safe. She uh, almost gets back to him, but then decides to run away. As she runs, she explodes, of course. Um, the boy whose collar is going off runs out and attacks and starts shooting up, uh, like up the hill. He is then shot and killed. Uh, uh, this pisses off Taku, who's kind of like probably the main leader guy. Then we get told that boy and girl number 
two are dead. 24 to go. Yeah, like I said, um, we are like pretty much under half right now because didn't they start out with like 40 something or 48 or something like that? Yeah, something like that. I just remember like I looked at the time because when I saw the number, I was like, Jesus Christ, that's half. And it was like not even 55 minutes yet when half of them were dead. And I think it's right about here. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's that was pretty crazy. Um, we then bust out with the noon report in the list of the dead, of course. Uh, the group take refuge in an old abandoned building. Uh, one of the girls is even having to use insulin and only has three days worth. So they're really fucking these kids up. Yeah, they don't give a fuck. They're just going to let them go out and die for at, their government. At this point, they're not people. They're just sacks of meat that, you know, they're going to use for cannon fodder. Well, yeah, that's all we all ever have been to the government. And that's it. Yes, that's absolutely well, you're not wrong. <laughs> we are just consumers that are there to keep the GDP going. No matter, how, no matter how many gigantic American flags they put out on football fields. <laughs> no, no, that's what makes it all better, Matt. That's acknowledging our sacrifice to be, oh. you know, a cog in the machine. Uh, there is an explosion and one kid is hurt. Uh, then this group finds themselves surrounded by tripwires. Uh, the kid who was in the explosion dies and a girl's collar starts going off and they all start freaking out. One of the boys wants to go help the others, but Shori won't let him. It was the daughter. She won't let the other boy try to help the other group. Um, the boys, bo- the dead boy's body that was kind of hanging up there falls, sending up all the trip wires. Six dead, 18 to go. That was amazing right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was great. The <laughs> stuff with uh, the stuff with the trip wires where they're trying to all hold each other up and they know that they're fucked and they can't come in from this approach. And then uh, they do all that stuff where like they're arguing and throwing each other around and people are getting shot and almost falling on the trip wires. Like uh, I was feeling I was the amazed. tension. This was the best part of the movie for me was this yeah. little section here. What I thought was going to happen was when the girl's collar explodes and they all get their faces splattered with blood. And I was like, oh, well, they're all going to fall over. And they didn't. I was like, oh, well, that's good for them. And then his body falls and, and then, then he trips the wire. The dead body does. Yeah. Or they were going to trip back and hit a wire and then it was going to kill them all or, or whatever. Yeah. But like the rest of the remaining that whole platoon section gets ripped out. Like just, pretty much. Mission three is gone right there. Yeah. Or no, mission uh, two is gone there. Mission three was where they split up and the other ones went around the front or whatever. Yeah. Um, Taku's team gets that update. So they decide to storm the main building. Taku is blown back. He isn't injured, but he's just kind of like knocked a little senseless and he accidentally shoots one of his own teammates. Uh, that the, was crazy. The uh, I don't call them terrorists. The defenders. Uh, one of the defenders sees one of the students storming them is her brother. And so they kind of let them in, you know, after they figured this out, they kind of let up on the shooting uh, outside. They come to the room. They see the little girl from the first movie with the smile. She runs away and they follow her, but they walk right into a trap and like all his, all his people, Shayu's people is above them pointing guns down. Yeah, One they're in kid, a kill box. They they got lured yeah. into a kill box. That's why they let yeah. them in. And they tell them to disarm themselves, but one kid yells that they blew up his whole entire family, his father, mother, and sister. He starts shooting, um, and uh, a girl accidentally shoots one of the kids, and the defenders open fire, They killing six more, uh, 12 to go. They are still terrorists, dude. They blew up buildings for political That's true. gain. All right. They're still I'm terrorists. Cult, but they're defending this, so they're, they're, they're a little building here. Yeah, I, I know, know, but just because you said what you said about not calling them terrorists, that's going to be a clip. All right. Well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all the callers 
fires all of a sudden start going off. Uh, Shori has a little girl a hostage, that same little girl, and she's starting to yell for Shua. However, uh, and then one of the girl's heads explodes. So Shori lets that little girl go and tells her to leave. Girl number 10 is dead, 11 to go. But then the Wild Seven bring out a uh, device causing electronical pulse uh, and uh, cutting the signal to all the callers. Yeah, they don't call it an EMP because it's no. an EMB. So it's like an electromagnet that they designed that it, to specifically d- d- replicate an EMP. Yeah. But like um, to constantly go while it's fired up. It's got its own generator and everything. It's so Hackenstein and cool. Oh, yeah. And so we cut back to the headquarters in the military and uh, the soldiers are now being sent in because they realize they've lost control of the situation there. And did you notice how the particular soldiers that are coming in to deal with it are dressed and how they don't look specifically like they may be Japanese? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah they, makes they look you good. That's a very much American greens right there. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder if for whatever reason these other countries are being forced to sacrifice their children like this. I don't know, as a manner of to pay tribute. Like, let's say that like... Um, or just because they're too rowdy, it's shitting on the stock market to get control of your ass. Right. Right, but like, like, let's say America is like, um, I don't know, like the main center hub, like a, you know, the, like the the first uh, ring, and then like the other countries that are involved in this are like further and further rings, and the further out you get, the more destitute you are, and the the less you have, and like you can't really, you know, do anything, and sometimes you can volunteer for this as tribute, um, to 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 do these games for yeah. battle royale, and it then could you're be no what? longer hungry because it'll feed your yeah. your ring. Uh, one thing I thought it was was because. America America does rely on Japan for a lot of tech and uh, a lot of that kind of industry type money. And if it starts going to shit and they want to blame the kids just easier than anything else, then it might be America saying, hey, listen, figure it out. Or if you remember what happened in World War II, it might happen again. And no one's probably going to stop us. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're you're fucking with our money. So get your shit figured out now or else we're, we'll figure it out for you. And that might not be a way you're going to enjoy. Right. And I was just basically making reference to the Hunger Games because, you know. Oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah, the rungs. Okay, I got you. Yeah. 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 Once you again, know. I never saw the Hunger Games. Yeah, you did. You actually watched it twice this week. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Battle Royale. That's right. Yep. Um, so we are at day two now. Uh, the kids are brought up to see Shua. Um, and there we can see the girl, <laughs> the little girl, start smiling. And it is that smiling girl from the first one. It is still creepy. We see kids up there. They are even babies up there. Um, yeah. They, um, it's a bunch of teenagers that have locked themselves away and declared war on adults. Of course there's babies there. Yeah, right. I uh, mean, there's no condoms, for fuck's sakes. Yeah, no shit. Um, they even start removing some of the collars. Uh, Shuya explains the past, you know, his past and kind of what happened. Um, he talks about the horrible conditions, though, in the Middle East that they've seen. Uh, apparently, he went out there in Afghanistan, Pakistan. But he says even in the worst World War torn areas, the children were at least smiling. Yeah. So what they're getting at here is borderline advocacy for Muslim terrorists basically. Click. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. I mean, it gets a little dangerous in the shit that they're implying here. I'm like, holy fuck movie. What are you thinking? We are definitely the bad guys. They are definitely kind of making uh, any sort of 
Middle Eastern terrorists, the, the good guys. Yeah, they make some allusions to um, a certain society's buildings collapsing being its own fault because of what it made decisions to slaughter its youth. I mean, yeah. they, they basically are doing that directly with this film, right? Yeah, pretty much. I yeah. mean, it's brazen in its ability to make me go, holy fuck, <laughs> with yeah. that. Really? I mean, it is fucking insane. Yeah, I mean, I'm not angry about it. I just wanted to point out that that was a thing that is happening. Yes. Um, he and Taku have a back and forth about why they fight. Um, and uh, Sayu claims it's so that all children have a chance to smile. Um, then special forces show up and there is a bit of a shootout. Uh, during the shootout, Shori confronts Shua about how it feels. She didn't say what. She just asked how it feels. Um, special forces break in and there's uh, more shooting out with uh, Shuai. Shuri uh, gets a gun and they struggle with it, but he gets control of it. Uh, she, he, um, uh, and then he tells her if you point, because she kind of, she pointed the gun at him, but she she froze. And so he kind of told her when he got control, he goes, when you point a gun at somebody, shoot it. Don't wait. I'm like, do you really want to tell her that? I mean, I'm just saying. Uh, Shuya is at the point now where he realizes that he is on borrowed time and his life is forfeit. But at the same time, he wants to live life to its absolute fullest. And he sees a potential revolutionary in every kid that has been sent to this war machine. And I think he's doing that with her. And I mean, let's face it, the guy's all dressed up like some kind of weird alchemist type rock star hybrid. It, yeah, it seems that way, right? Yeah, he looks kind of like how they dressed up Ben Kingsley uh, as the, or Sir Ben Kingsley as the Mandarin in Iron Man 3, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like this weird kind of, hybrid of cultures. Like. Yeah, like this weird hybrid of cultures where he's supposed to be the leader of this terrorist organization that's doing this thing that they're doing. You know, that's kind of what they, they got going on here. I, I want to talk a little bit about the actor who is playing uh, Shuya. Um, I do believe it's the same actor from the first movie, correct? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Um, if not, I know for sure that the actor in this movie who is playing Shuya, which I believe is the same guy, he's just a little bit older. He was uh, pretty, like, had gotten pretty established uh, as like a, I don't know if he's like a heartthrob or whatever, but he's been in a ton of stuff and a bunch of movies, been like some more popular stuff. Uh, one of the things that I can think of off the top of my head is the live action adaptation of the Death Note series, where there's like three films that's live action that he did. Um, okay. And then they did another one where I think he was featured in it, but I don't know if it's like flashbacks or whatever. It was almost like a remake or, or a reboot or, or something like that uh, in like 2016. But the first three of the live action versions of the Death Note that was done in Japan are actually pretty decent. And he plays the main character of Light in that. Um, so, I mean, this guy's got some some clout by this point, because I think yeah. some of those movies were already out. And if you look at his career, like he just is all over the place. And he's not a bad looking dude. So I get this whole like making him like a rock star and like really kind of using his celebrity to basically make this character who would be an infamous person for what he had done, which is slaughter millions of people or thousands or however many it is when he blew up pretty much an entire city, right? Like he took down a metropolis area, like all those large buildings. At least the dead center of it. Yeah. I mean, like the tallest buildings all fell on that, that video and they show it to you a couple of different times. Yeah. And from each angle that you see it from, it looks like more and more uh, is being revealed, like of just how horrific this terroristic attack that they did 
did was, which is pretty goddamn horrible. And if it's yeah, a, I mean, if it's it a sounds like a, it killed. Yeah. I mean, I, of course, it killed thousands upon thousands of people. But almost, it sounds like every kid who was in this class was somehow affected by this attack. Right, like the city that they attacked at, it it took out quite a few people. Like like we're talking at least a couple hundred thou, because I mean, it's like every fucking building, and some of those had to be apartment buildings. And he took out, they took out entire families for declaring a war on adults. They really didn't plan it out to only harm adults. Yeah, exactly. Which is pretty typical of terrorist stuff. They say they're for one thing, but they're just wantonly killing to try and basically force people to be scared into doing what they want. I mean, that's what terrorism is. That pretty much is, yeah, you, it's why it's called terrorism. Yes. Uh, let's see here. Uh, special report, uh, special forces reports that the students have now joined the terrorists. Uh, while he's the one of the report that we see the teachers just mowing down on pills. Um, they state they're being slaughtered by the terrorists. So I thought it was nicotine gum at first that he was chewing or something like that. Or maybe it those was, are pills. Yeah. Like maybe they were antacids or something. I couldn't figure out what it was, but like you see like a multiple blister packs of pills have been just annihilated. Maybe they're like antidepressants. <laughs> I don't know what they were, but he was like chewing them like fucking Tic Tacs and he just ate a whole bunch of ass that wasn't washed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Jesus Christ. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. The army is getting fucked over. Even Taku kills one. So now we go to day three. It's, hey, it's Christmas. And uh, the kids are all holding down fort. Uh, one of the girls actually dies from injury she sustained in that attack. So we get girl number six is dead. Ten to go. Taku starts a fight with Shuna. And Taku doesn't believe that Shuna is any better than the adults. They're both raging wars that are affecting the, the other kids. So he kind of pulls out the same thing you were kind of saying. Yeah, I mean, we didn't start the fire, Matt. Um, but yeah. then again, you know, if you're killing people to prove your point, maybe your point isn't worth proving. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, after all this, we start to have flashbacks. Uh, the first flashback is uh, Shiori playing piano and her birthday. Her dad tries to connect with her, but then she says he's an idiot because her birthday was the day before. He still got her a present, and when he leaves, he kind of makes a little joke, and she tells, calls him an idiot, and he leaves. Which is weird, because he says he maybe he should shoot himself in the head, and didn't he pretty much do that by using the squirt gun to have somebody else kill him for him? Pretty much, yes. So this whole thing of him volunteering to be the teacher in Battle Royale, partially to protect the closest thing to a daughter he'll ever have in Noriko, or however you pronounce her name, but also because he couldn't connect with his own daughter and decided he'd rather be dead, I guess? Yeah. I mean, is it's, that what they're hitting at? That's kind of what it seems like, yeah. So maybe she's feeling more guilt than anything else about all this shit. Oh, yeah, I believe she is, but she won't admit that. Right, because like and she's, she, and she's instead turned her blame to uh, the other two uh, who yeah, did survive. Sh Shuya and Noriko. But like, yeah. this is where I'm like, is she seeking vengeance or is she looking for answers? Or is her definition of getting answers to get vengeance? Because, I mean, either way, I'm, I'm for the ride for this. Go for it. Yeah, right. Let's let's do this thing. <laughs> Let's um, kill a bunch of people for fun. <laughs> Why not? Come on. Uh, then uh, we have a flashback for Taku, and his flashback is of being dropped off at the school he was at by his mother, who promises that someday she'll come get him again. I don't think he believes her. Uh, that's because she is lying, Matt. Um, parents lie to their kids all the time. Ah, uh, we do not. What are you talking about? Why are you giving it up already, man? Can you just shut the fuck up and be cool for half a second? Jesus. I didn't Christ. start the fire, Matt. <laughs> 
God damn it, Court. Just be have some chill, all right, for half a minute. Nope. All nope. you parents are on blast. <laughs> <laughs> Shuo then is remembering his old friends uh, and playing with the knife that, uh, you know, kind of, you know, started this whole damn thing a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was the knife to ass stab heard around the world. Yeah, something like that. Then we have a flashback to a battle that Shuo was a part of with his uncle. Uh, we believe this is actually the bombing of all those buildings. And he tells Shuo before he runs off to die to, you know, keep fighting and never stop fighting. So apparently, he became part of something with his uncle and that was the terrorist group that did all that. I believe that that is the uncle that the kid that was the group of hackers was referring to. I believe that Shuya hooked up with him. Oh, I think you're right. That's, yeah, for some reason I thought it was... Yeah, that's just how I always determined or, or thought that that was what it was or, or that's just what I glommed from it. You know, that's probably... That, that's good. It's good as anything I could think of. Yeah, because um, um, Shuya's actual uncle wouldn't be around because why would Shuya end up in an orphanage and not end up with his uncle. That's true. So I think it's that other kid's uncle. And I think like a lot and if you look, a lot of the kids that are the folks that are there, um, they kind of have something to do with the class that was slaughtered in Shuya's class that was slaughtered in some way, shape, or form. And so the Wild Seven is essentially like the folks that are left and then also that group that I believe is what was referenced in the first movie that the kid that was the super hacker that figured all the stuff out and built the bomb Yeah, was with. I think that's who the... But I think they reformed and changed their name name, you know, when once Shuya joined in and it became all about, you know, going against the battle royale stuff. Yeah. Uh, we flashed down to the teacher who was holding a picture of a little girl and crying. So we have some story there, which you could probably figure out on your own, you know, without thinking too much about. Yeah, um, it's all right there, all out in front. Everybody in this class all were directly affected in some way, shape or form by Shuya's terrorism. So therefore, they have their own specific vengeance quest to go against him. That's the whole thing is what they're talking about. Why'd you have to ruin it for everybody? <laughs> Come on. I mean, just seems a little rude, but well, okay. One of the folks was yelling about it in the the scene right before the EMB gets set off. So, I mean, we already know that that's a thing and that it's affected quite a few of them. You already made a comment about that, so I'm not spoiling or ruining anything. You always gotta ruin everyone's good time. Uh, <laughs> you just don't like to be told you're wrong because you're a typical fucking American. I'm a cunt. No, no, I, I, I'm quite used to being told I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> you just don't like it when it's not a woman telling you because then you can't get a kink out of it. Hey, don't shame me. I'm Do not, not shame me. I'm not. I'm just pointing out that you have a hard time with men telling you that you're wrong. I mean, it's better than the other way, right? <laughs> you have a hard time telling men they're wrong? No, no, no. I have an easy time telling men they're wrong because usually we are. Uh yeah, well, you're the king of both mansplaining and manspreading. <laughs> Any opportunity you can do both is like your golden moments. Hey, again, don't kink shame me. All right, that is wrong. <laughs> all right, you're, we're taking too much time on this. Let's just move on. <laughs> all right, <laughs> you fucking weirdo. Shayu <laughs> uh, holds a meeting, and it's kind of a rah-rah speech with the teacher even listening that they need to keep fighting for their cause. We start getting another uh, the same list again of all the countries that America has bombed, and while he. He's kind of giving the speech and it's done. The base is hit by a missile. A couple of them. Yeah. It's really weird because the whole base transformed into a model that then starts to explode. Yeah, it's kind of weird. But hey, you know, what are you, you going to do? There's a few things in this movie where the effects are super ropey, 
movie, but they were so ambitious with so little money that I'm going to let it go. Like all the weird, quirky things. Like this is the only one I'm really going to comment on because I was just really happy to see that they didn't just CG the fuck out of it. They actually took the time to make a model and blow it up. Yeah, exactly. So the military has no idea who actually fired the missile. The P the prime minister actually calls and said the U.S. is going to attack in 12 hours. The prime minister tells the teacher that he should fire as many missiles as he can now. Uh, the teacher actually thinks that's pretty much bullshit, but yeah, what are you going to do? The prime minister then takes control of the army, but the prime minister also says that America wants this and that it's something we're going to all going to get. So Now, in the movie, uh, they don't specifically say America, but it's so, so heavily country. implied. Yeah, that country or the country. Um, yeah. and But the way that they talk about it, it's so hurt me even more today of all days that we're recording this because of the embarrassment that is our current administration. Uh-huh. So yeah. when he's talking about it, I'm like, you're right. Uh, the rest of the world must tolerate American. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, the PR, the prime minister takes control and the teacher leaves. Um, the kids are looking for survivors after this and uh, Taku wakes up and Kuzi is trapped. And much like the previous movie, she professes her love for him and then dies. So much like most teenagers, they profess their love for someone and then die. Yeah, far too late. Uh, they die far too late or they profess their love far too late? Little column A, little column B, who am I to argue? Yeah, fair enough. I mean, six of one, half dozen of the other, right? Exactly. And then we get a sign, girl number 15 is dead, nine to go. At least people uh, aren't dying in pairs because what's-his-face was paired with the girl who gave her undying love to him just before she died. Yeah, right? So, yeah, the callers are all, you know, okay, so. Yeah, it's like that really bad Jet Li movie. They're all unleashed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, there's parts of that movie that I guess are okay. That, that horrible, horrible. Could be worse. At least Bob Hoskins uh, is in it. Yeah, right? Uh, let's see here. We have a bit of a funeral for Kuzi, and then uh, Shuya tells Taku to take the small children and the uh, rest of the students and run, and that the terrorists will continue to fight off the attack that's coming. Um, then we come to the final morning. All the terrorists get in position for the battle uh, as the students and children are going to take a tunnel to safety. Uh, the brother of one of the students uh, says goodbye to his terrorist sister. Uh, Shori decides she is going to stay and fight. Uh, then we see the soldiers storm the island. The kids open fire and we have a shootout. Soldiers are able to start breaking through and start killing kids and they're using rockets to blow up sections of the building. These shootouts are really fucking brutal. The actual war scenes are really, really brutal. Like one kid is like they surround him and they just start blowing him away constantly while it was on the ground. Yeah, like they want to make sure that they're fucking dead. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of uh, back to the whole Normandy storming thing, but the opening of Saving Private Ryan, where it was so realistic, it was triggering some actual vets to have flashbacks and things. My dad couldn't sit through it. Yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about. And it feels really realistic and kinetic the way that they shot it. And I felt like it was very heavily influenced by the cinematic stuff that was done with uh, Saving Private Ryan there at the opening. And I feel like maybe they were influenced by it and they just tried to do as best they could on a budget. Probably. Yeah, I would I would agree. I mean, that's the sensation that I get is that's what they were striving for. Yeah. Taku hears the fighting and decides he needs to head back to help. Two other students agree to go with him and follow him out. Uh, we have more fighting and one of the students 
Shabuki, uh, Shabiki, I'm sorry, who came back is killed. Then we see a nerd kid who came back. He sacrifices himself to give people more time to escape, and he is killed. So we have boy number three and number seven are dead. Seven to go. Yay, lucky seven. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, Taku joins Shuna, and they uh, resume fighting side by side. Uh, Shua's second in command at the t- Saki dies. Uh, then uh, a rocket launcher, uh, one of the people fires a rocket launcher, killing a lot of military personnel. Um, two of the girls there, one of them being the sister of one of the students, send Shua, uh, Taku, and Shrori away. And they say they'll finish it, uh, that they need to finish it, but they have to be alive to do it. Uh, then after in a shootout, the sister is shot, but she sets a timer in her laptop and then is soon killed afterward. Uh Shia at one point during a fight in the in that uh that uh that kill uh kill box that they're in, Shia stabs a guy with a freaking pipe and he starts bleeding out of it. Uh, and then Taku blows him up with his rocket launcher. There was a really interesting thing when he stabs him with a pipe. You could kind of see the strap that was supposed to hold it in place right after he stabs him with it. And uh-huh. then like they cut away and then the all the guts and a bunch of other stuff starts spilling out of the pipe. And I immediately was like, wait, what? And I had to <laughs> rewind it and watch it again. Uh there's a couple of different scenes that are like that where like um some of the flashbacks, I think I saw a cameraman's shadow in one of the flashbacks. Um, and there's some, some other things like that as well. But like I said, I'm not going to get too crazy over it all because they were on a budget. bunch of tragedy happened while they were trying to do this stuff. And things just didn't work out the way that they wanted. But I mean, overall, the film turned out just fine. Yeah. Uh, so um, they run into the teacher who is now in a rugby uniform holding the rugby ball. He stated that his daughter died in that terrorist attack. He asked his two Two students that are left if there is if there is such a thing that there's only winning or losing and he says lets them go to live their lives to find out. His collar starts going off and he said he always wanted to play rugby with them and as they run off he jumps in the air and blows up and then right after he blows up the entire base blows up. He doesn't just jump in the air he dives as if he is making a grand like like rugby uh, do they call it touchdowns or goals or whatever it is like. Yeah something like that. Yeah, I don't know what they call them in rugby. I'll, I'll yeah. say touchdown. Like, basically, he makes it into the specific end, the end zone, zone for his sports ball sport. Yeah. Like, that's what he's diving as if he is doing. And that whole thing where he, he says he always wanted to play rugby with them, he's literally trying to say that he wishes he could be a kid again. And yep. that's, that you know, and that he sympathizes with them, and maybe that's why he got the collar. Yes. Um, see here. Um, the tunnel kids uh, hear the explosion, and then they also see light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, the three emerge, and are surrounded by military and start fighting their way out. Uh, they seem to be pretty much pinned down throughout the whole entire thing. Um, everything uh, everything starts to get wavy, like they're in that fog of war, and then Shrori is uh, shot, and then Shua is also hit a few times. Taku covers them, and they escape down some stairs. She asks him about the girl in the uh, painting and what she was like. He says she was the type of person who would look right at you and smile. Yeah, like uh, she would look you in the eyes and always smile directly yeah. at you, which is a cultural no-no, I'm guessing, where he's like, you know, like women aren't supposed to do that. 
but she's the type of lady that would do that anyway. Always just saying she's very nice. Right. But I, I don't I don't know. But like it's, you know, yeah, you're either always, way, you're always supposed to advert gaze and like, you know, not yeah, draw attention true. or something like that. Like culturally speaking is what I'm guessing. So I think what he's getting at is like she's very confident. She's, you know, basically the way that he's describing it is how much he looks up to her for being who she is and how he's kind of really fallen in love with her. I mean, it's shortcuts at the way that he describes that. But that's yeah, the that's, sensation that I got. There you go. That's true. You know, like all he had to say is, oh, man, she's like a cool drink of water on a hot summer's day. I, I don't think that fits this movie. No, but that's, you know, that's basically the equivalent of what he's doing. True. Cerezo <laughs> um, uh, uh, then says that she is very sorry. Uh, she says that uh, she is Kitano's daughter and that she says uh, that she's very sorry, but she never once called her own father dad. And then as she goes down, we get girl number four dead, six to go. Uh, Taku comes down those stairs and he is now out of ammo. Uh, Shuri gives him in his AK and then takes out a handgun. The two go running up in a beautiful flash and then we see numerous missiles hit the island. It is 6.45 a.m. Game over. Yeah, so is that the U.S. striking the island or is that the Prime Minister? That's America. That's, okay, so America is the no, wait, no, no. I, bombs. That or it's the, it could be Japan because the, the Prime Minister wanted to do it himself too to kind of appease America. So I don't know, but somebody hit that shit out. Yeah, I'm thinking that they did it just to basically appease America to not get more bombs dropped on mainland Japan or something like that. That could be very true. Yeah, I mean, if this, uh, if this film were made like even 10 years later, they would talk about drone strikes being hitting them instead of missiles. Yeah, right. Uh, so anyway, we get another screen, say boy number one, number five, girl number one, number three, and number eight, number 13, and sure, whereabouts unknown. Yes. So they assume dead, though, in this. Yeah, it's probably assumed dead, but they, they do have to say the whereabouts are unknown. They just don't know. Anyway, we cut to three months later, and we see the all the other kids and students are waiting, and an old car pulls up and breaks down, and out comes Taku and Shua. The boy gives Shua his gun back, and uh, all of a sudden, Naruko shows up. So she's back. Um, they welcome him home, and she comforts him and says he thinks he's failed. They look out onto the fields, and uh, she states that uh, their future is coming, and like the seasons always change, even this land of battle, so you can tell they're in the Middle East again. Yeah, um, well, and it doesn't help that all the ladies are wearing basically hijab-type outfits. Yeah. You know? And uh, the rest of the guys are, are dressed the same as well. Like, this whole thing is just serious, like, cultural appropriation to try and just hackneyed in the idea that uh, maybe America deserved it is what they were getting at with this flick. Well, America's a bunch of cunts. Um, <laughs> according to them, we really are. Uh, yeah, this film is um, not very happy about America at all. Like, no, it's, they it's, do not particularly like us. When was this film released? Most of this really, most of this kind of sentiment didn't start until well into the war with Iraq. Yeah, this is 2003, so this is about the perfect time uh, for that sentiment. Yeah, yeah, war in Iraq was was kind of heating up. So yeah, this is kind of that time. So yeah, though that explains the scathing um, hatred. Yeah, then. yeah, 2003 we were not very well liked. Um, Glad that's all changed. Oh, uh, hey man, uh, I, I've been trying to tell you, you really need to pick up a newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nah, I get all my news from uh, factcheck.gov.org.dumb. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, Taku and Nayo, they are uh, going to part ways with Shayu, uh, Noroko, and the little children going one way, and uh, Taku and... Nia and the rest of the students going another. As they drive away, they drive away with the future. Roll credits. Okay, so that's a little bit weird. Uh, we want to talk about the credits, though, themselves just a little bit because uh, they show the class photo similar to how they did it in the first movie of the kids for the BR2 act that got, you know, drafted into war. Yeah. Um, and then they show Shoya's original class, just basically showing what started it all and all of that kind of stuff, the way that they were talking about it. So um, basically, like we talked about, the metaphor is complete and back around again and it's very thinly veiled if veiled at all yeah <laughs> i mean we that we, was veiled there no um it's the old people go to war they slaughter the youth to do it uh, it's a very scathing idea about the draft and how young people are sent off to die in the wars created by old people that have nothing to fear to enrich themselves um and it basically just comes right out and says it all comes back to america i mean they, they pepe silvered this with like red lines all over the place where all the mail is it all comes back to Pepe Silva. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what they did with the film. Um, even though that metaphor is a bit ham-handed, um, the sequences of the war shots, the action and everything in it is fucking amped up. The weaponry is cool as shit. Uh, and you don't really feel much of the two-hour runtime. Like, this moves fast. The only time I felt uh, the kind of the runtime was a little long is when we hit the kind of the, uh, the two parts, really. When we hit all the flashbacks happening, um, I really didn't think we needed it, but, yeah. that, but that's just me. Uh, the flashbacks and then the very end kind of just kind of started drowning out for me. Yeah. I mean, how many fucking speeches were they going to give Shuya before more battles happen? It's like battle speech, battle speech, yeah. battle speech. Battle speech. The middle. <laughs> but I mean, that beginning, you're right into, I mean, you're 30 minutes in and already 26 of your kids are dead. Yeah. So that's a, that's a hardcore beginning. The, the very, that, that the very end, but the end when they're finally fighting the military in that last stand, that was exciting to watch. Uh, it was just hard with the, the, the war speech, the flashbacks, and then the very end where it was like, how many people get to have their last speech here? Because they wanted like they had too many survivors almost at this point. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, it had a Lord of the Rings, you know, Return of the King kind of thing going on, where it's like ending fatigue, where like everybody gets their own story wrap up. Um, yeah. Now, I a lot of the stuff that I feel is wrong with the directing and the way that this film turned out has to do with the fact that the original director of of the original Battle Royale he passed away during the production of this film. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Now his son was the writer of the screenplay for both films and his son stepped in and did the directing of this and so a lot of the things that basically feel kind of hackneyed and not handled as deftly and are just in your face and abrupt I'm going to say is for an inexperienced director I don't know how much he may have directed before this but uh, considering how deftly the original was handled um, you can totally tell that there is a director who is a little unseasoned doing this one compared to the first one where things that are really in your face not metaphors in the first one are handled a little bit more in such a way as to be misdirecting about it where you're worrying about one thing while the metaphor is still slapping you in the face you know <laughs> yeah 
So, I mean, uh, any complaints that I would have, I, I, I mean, it's obviously it was a troubled production and a man who is mourning his father is trying to make this piece of work happen as a tribute to him. Of course, there's going to be some issues there. You know, of course, there's going to be problems. Of course, it's going to be what it is, the type of film that it turned out to be, where it's a little bit plotting, a little bit angry. I mean, it's like the five stages of grief on film for you here. Yeah, pretty much. But at the same time, for the type of film that this is uh, and what it's trying to do, that kind of works, you know, because by the time we get to the acceptance at the end stage, they fleed their homeland and they are now in a new land that is been at war forever, but the people themselves still have a smile on their face because that is just life. And the idea is you you live your life regardless of what troubled times you may have found yourself in or what have you, you know, that another one of those types of metaphors, you know, where you just have to find your way or, or yeah. whatever. Like I said, it's a little more ham-handed and it's a little more, you know, kind of forced with a lot of the stuff, but at the same time, I'm kind of okay with that. I think they just did fine as 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 it is. I've seen significantly worse part two sequels. For oh, I have too. Yeah, I think we both have. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. Yeah, like I said, there were parts that got long. Um, but in the end, it, it was it was an entertaining sequel. Yeah, but there's parts of the um extended edition, special edition of Battle Royale one that uh, we when we covered that, where I definitely felt the runtime, like the basketball scenes and stuff like that, where I'm like, oh my god, just. Get on with it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, we don't need the flashbacks. Just get get us to the action of just dropping these kids off on an island and killing themselves. And that may also be a cultural difference thing too, for all we know. Yeah, maybe. And it's entirely possible. But other than that, I enjoyed it. All right. Well, since we're sitting here in the future and uh, everything else is in the past, um, why don't we just do some psyop news? All right. All right. We're gonna take another break here. We're gonna play a promo for another podcast that's really fitting for the battle royale series. And we come back. We'll have a little bit more Japanese music that is also fitting of the Battle Royale series. The bond between father and son has been magical throughout time. Precious moments spent together shape not only the son, but the father as well. Their contributions to the world will benefit all humanity. However, this does not apply to Dan and Brennan on the Corrupted Youth Podcast. This father and son duo Explore the latest blockbusters, classic genre films, and the schlockiest of Golden Age VHS rental store flicks in spoiler-heavy fashion. What a couple of dongles. If you'd like to hear Dan and Brennan's precious father-son moments flushed away like so many turds, listen to the Corrupted Youth Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts.
And that is Violent Letter by Guitar Wolf, who they themselves are also somewhat involved with uh, movie making from Japan. There's a film called Wild Zero that the band Guitar Wolf was featured in. Nice. Yeah. Um, also dealing with a bunch of different societal issues and really kind of pushing the envelope for its time. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call Guitar Wolf um, a good band, but they definitely have some songs that are really earworms and uh, really get going. They kind of pride themselves on being kind of sloppy and noisy and uh, they, they like a lot of feedback and I don't know. That's just their thing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, what my thing is, Matt? What's that? Give me some psyop music. Just rolling, uh... <laughs> I already know the story you're doing. Ooh, is that <laughs> me getting a metal rod shoved up my rectum? Josh Brolin's uh, butthole is sunburned after he tried the premium sunny. And, uh, well, he's not happy about it. I got Botox in my scrotum. Yeah, but he's posting all over the place, just telling everybody about the constant updates of his asshole. And on your rectal passage. Yeah, so if you ever heard of it, uh, premium sunny is a new fad started by Instagram influencers uh, that uh, they claim it's good for your health to uh, tan your butthole. My asshole actually sweat. While you're tanning it? That's incredible. Yeah, I, I mean, I would assume it probably would if you're out there in the hot sun, you well, know, just sticking it out there. Question, do you put tanning oil on the area whenever you're sunning? I mean, you would think Ooh, because, you, you know, you don't want it to get burned. Booty juice, booty juice, gotta have it. My <laughs> asshole actually sweat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yikes. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, uh, so anyway, he says he he gave that new wellness trend uh, the premium sunning a whirl with disaster result that left his anus sunburn. You want to do a little ass play? A health influencer who goes by Raw of Earth posted a video of three naked men doing the setting. You want to do mere, a little ass play? In a mere thirty seconds of sunlight on your butthole, you will receive more energy from this electric node than you would an entire day of being outside with your clothes on. Apparently, uh, I don't. Don't fucking buy it. This is just this is just some ass freak who wants to have people like going fucking ass over tea kettle and yeah. rising it in the air and just putting it out there in the sun. You want to do a little ass play? <laughs> to give you an idea, yeah, Josh Brolin definitely uh, suggests that you not uh, try this. That it's uh, it would be bad for you. Yeah. So his asshole got sunburnt, and yeah. uh, meanwhile he's like running around going, "What's with all that asshole creep?" <laughs> Was that me? Yeah, that was you. <laughs> I don't even remember saying it. Oh, it's from ages ago. <laughs> Do that one again. What's with all that asshole creep? What is with all that asshole creep? <laughs> oh, hold on. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get back under control here. That's a good one. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the crux of the story. There's not really much more to report. I, I, there's not much more. I'm, I'm actually gonna pull up another story here. Yeah, um, I mean, but basically, like he tweeted about to, it. And, have, how could I not do that story? No, I mean, Thanos burned his ass. So yeah, let's let's look at it this way, right? He accomplishes his mission, right? He blinks out half the life in the universe, and then the sun rises on a very ungrateful asshole that gets burnt. I mean, it's like, you know, this is maybe what you get for snapping half of everything out of existence. You know what I mean? Yeah, possibly. <laughs> 
<laughs> I can't um, think of many other transgressions that he's done that were really bad. <laughs> I mean, it's, you get your asshole burnt. Sorry. I mean, also, Thanos was right. Well, there you go. Uh, we got one from uh, Robert Ward uh, from the Detroit Free Press. Uh, Gaylord man sentenced after police say he masturbated in front of 14 homes. Is Gaylord a town? Uh, last yeah. name? Or? I, I think it's a town. Okay, uh, so the man is from Gaylord and he did what again? He uh, masturbated in front of 14 homes in front of 14 homes not like home a home i don't know yeah homes no, uh, like houses yeah right so 14 and like if someone just went down uh, your street just furiously masturbated in front of all the homes now i'm curious like is it one at a time or like well, let's find out if you want a fear boner the gaylord man was sentenced on one count of indecent exposure by a sexually delinquent but by, by a sexually delinquent person after window peeped in um, Hawaii earlier this year and last year. confused direction right now. Michael Estes of Gaylord was sentenced on aggravated indecent exposure, a count that was exasperated by his habitual offender status due to previous convictions. Pulling it just to pull it. Estes 63 was sentenced on the 46th in, in the 46th Circuit Court in Ostiago County to 22 and a half to 30 years in prison. Oh, jack or something. Shooting a fucking hot load all over this dog. Shoot some fucking ropes. Circle jerk! Circle jerk! According to a Monday afternoon uh, news release from the Michigan State Police, uh, Gaylord Post, the post had been contacted in May by a resident in the Mishawahi area about a man window peeping. And there's a lot of weighing around. Troopers began investigating the complaint and spoke with several residents who had noticed an unknown person near their homes. Their reports went back as far as July 2018 or he 20, must have two, an penis. Jesus, this guy's been at it for a while. It sounds like he just like so. I think that that like all the homes they're adding them up from years and years of, of of diddling himself in front of them. Okay, so this guy is going in front of 14 consecutive homes over a period of time and just furiously masturbating. Over, over the period of one year. Yeah. Masturbate. 14 be, different That's homes. why he's probably getting almost 20 years in the slammer. Yeah, there's a lot of individual incidences. Yeah. Shut Estes, up. Are you talking about penises? Estes was reportedly, uh, reportedly interviewed by troopers and the state police news release said he had pleasured himself in front of 14 homes during the nighttime hours. Let's jack it or something. In the night times. The fuzzy fuzz times. Pulling it just to pull it. Um, according <laughs> to court records, SD also is considered an habitual offender as he was convicted two times on criminal sexual conduct second degree charge against a person under 13 of age in Ostiago County in 2003. Oh, so this guy's a special version of asshole on top oh, of this. Yeah, man. He's, he's a fuckwad. Yeah, what a piece of shit. So this no longer is funny anymore no no it stopped being funny on that last that last that little last tidbit of fight. information yeah like it's one thing to be jerking off in front of houses but it's another when you start going the other route that this got described yeah um i mean he's still a sexual predator you don't don't go up onto somebody's property and and fucking jerk it without start, yeah, start jerking it just to jerk it yeah i mean there's no reason just to be out there pulling it just to pull it exactly he must have an incredibly long penis but that doesn't matter lee that has nothing to do with what we're talking Jeez, about come on lee come on 
on, man. For all you know. It's micro penis time with that guy. You don't know. You don't know, but that shouldn't matter. It's all bad. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't matter the length or the girth or any of the actual logistics of his penis size. He's doing horrible things with it that he shouldn't. Exactly. And also don't Uh. perineum son. (laughs) Oh, man. You want to do another one? No, I think we're good. We're, I mean, we've, we've got a long enough show as is. We've hit about the time frame that I wanted to hit. I think I, I think we're awesome. good. Yeah, so let's uh, go ahead and jump back into the past. If you enjoyed this show, then make sure you check out the other great shows on the Legion Podcast Network, like Cinema PsyOps, Cinema Beef, Devour the Podcast, Duncan and Bo Come Correct, Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast, Friday the 13th, Get Slayed, The Hell Ming Power Hour, Hello, This is the Doom Show, Hero Hero Ghost Show, Kill the Cast, Underwater kaiju from outer space jerry hates action legion after dark mental health obsessive cinema discourse pick six movies the podcast by the cemetery the podcast on haunted hill the psycho semantic podcast rick radio house of wax dude looks like the 80s rabbit and red radio the shade cast short bus cinema two drink minimum commentaries the vd clinic who will survive horror podcast and which versus the doomsday clock with such a widespread of shows there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with horror politics movies books sex music commentaries health video games kaiju action news comedy and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world we are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world check us out at www.legionpodcast.com itunes spotify stitcher youtube and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found So big in Japan, just like Tom Waits. So where are we now? We are now when we were then in the future. So now is then, but then will be in the future. What happened to then? Then is now. Well, what happened to now? Now is then. When will then be now? That was then. This is now. When will then be now? Soon. Okay. <laughs> we just really love to just fucking ride that stupid that, space ball It's because it's one of the greatest things ever written and put on <laughs> cinema screens. Ah. <sighs> That exchange will uh, then be now, dude. Oh, come on. It's Rick uh, Moranis. It's good, but I don't know if it's the greatest. Yeah, I, said, the world I didn't say the greatest. I said one of the greatest. Of the 80s. Of, okay, I'll give you that. Yeah. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. we're good, we're good. Yeah. One of the greatest exchanges of, of the, the 80s. 80s. There you go. In a Mel Brooks film. Yes. <laughs> really centering it there. Well, you throw in enough qualifiers, that's how you make a <laughs> Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie actually good. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, all this talk about adults and how they're sending youth out to fight their battles for them or just setting them against each other in a world where no one seems to be concerned about trying to understand those that come after us, even though we were in the same spot. I mean, the allegories are strong with this episode, and I'm not even sure how we talked about the second episode, because that's going to happen in the future. Yes. Or the second but that, movie. I'm telling you, that conversation about the second movie was 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 just great. <laughs> I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Was, it. It was rich <laughs> and compelling. <laughs> and you were drinking because it was via Skype and I couldn't stop you. I'm making that prediction now in the past. <laughs> well, if you would like to find out how you could try and stop Matt from drinking, it's called Alcoholics Anonymous and you'd have to drag him there. Uh, they don't let me in anymore. <laughs> Apparently, I don't believe in the anonymous part of starting, like, just, you know, tweeting out names and shit. It's apparently bad news. <laughs> Hashtag don't dox Al-Anon. <laughs> well, if you would like to find out more about how you can not dox Al-Anon, it's legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops for our main landing and launching page. You can also start your own battle royale right there on the page, choosing your best episode. Two episodes enter, one episode leaves, I guess. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about <laughs> isn't anymore. Isn't the Thunderdome? I, I guess, but I mean, isn't this just a Thunderdome of children, really, that we're talking about with a battle royale series? more than two. Yeah, okay, so like 20 kids enter, one kid leaves. Yeah, there you go. 40 or however many it is. I don't even (laughs) fucking know anymore. You can correct all of the mistakes that we've made both now and in the future in this recording on our Facebook group, Cinema PsyOps. You can at me directly if you want. I am Court PsyOps. You can at Matt PsyOps directly, but he won't fucking respond. The best way to get a hold of Matt is to email feedback to mattpsyopmatt at gmail.com and have you responded to that email that you got sent yet? No, not yet. My life is in flux, but I'm going to. Okay. I, I should get some news this week maybe that will make my life a little bit easier maybe but we'll see <laughs> what's gonna happen Ooh, so much so much mystery so and much intrigue, intrigue. so many that, things that i don't give a fuck about there, because it's matt's life yeah exactly it's that, that, that not that much intrigue it's job shit so should i give a fuck about matt's life email feedback no. to court cinema psyops court at gmail.com and uh, it's not psyop court or court psyops at gmail it's cinema psyops court at gmail.com i know i didn't make that easier on you because matt chose his after i chose <laughs> it is what it is, folks. You can tweet a couple of tweets to a couple of twats on the hate-filled shit fest that is Twitter. I am at court underscore psyop, and he is at psyop Matt. We're also available on Instagram. I'm tired of making that just add water joke, so I'm just going to reference it, and you can laugh in your head if you feel like it, or tell me to shut the fuck up. At cinema underscore psyops. There's also the flick chat group code cinema psyops. Of course, we're not really on there anymore. Now, this closes out 225 straight weeks of cinema psyops this is the end of the full franchise fest for battle royale all i have to say is watch your ass kick the fuck out of 40 other students and this week and make it your bitch Now fear the youth who have become unruly and doing okay, whatever boomer. they want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Okay, boomer. <laughs>
That's it. I find that to be racist. I'm leaving. Well, it's just the it's ageism. It's the equivalent, it's the, man. Yeah, although I'm not a boomer. So, I mean, I know I look as old as one, but I'm not. Okay, Gen Xer? I don't think I'm a Gen Xer. I'm like right below that. I'm like a year, a couple years born after that. I don't Definitely hold you below all Gen Xers. Yeah, well, I hold myself below just about everybody. And I would, like, right now, just highly suggest that everybody check out the Hero Hero Ghost Show with uh, Bo Ransdale, okay. our, our fearless leader. Not because he's our fearless leader and I want to, like, you know, just kind of give him a little... Yeah, a little kiss ass, but because he knows so much about this stuff and does such extensive research, I don't know if he's ever covered the Battle Royale films, but um, he's all about Japanese culture. And also, when Duncan and he start talking about that kind of stuff, because Duncan's kind of a is a Japanophile, is that even a term? Jesus, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds terrible. <laughs> what yeah, it, sounds, does. it does. Sounds like you just got him on a list. <laughs> Possibly, but he's very obsessed with uh, Japanese culture. Oh, okay. um, and then Bo is—I wouldn't say necessarily obsessed, but he's very learned about that sort of thing and he no. may be also as obsessed as well. Interested. You can just say interested. Right. So they would probably know a lot more and be able to tell you guys a lot more and if at any point in time he covered Battle Royale and Hero Hero Ghost I'm sure he did a much more in-depth talk than we will. It's one extreme or the other with you Court. It's either it's no one's just interested. It's either they're totally obsessed or you don't know fuck about it. Yeah. 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 You're, in a, you're an extreme sort of guy are you? I'm all about binary. <laughs> yes and yeah. no. Yes and no. It's it either is or it isn't. Yeah, yeah. So, like, when things are non-binary, then I have to bring bullions into it. <laughs> then I can understand how that's working. There you go. America is the only place that has those weird bathroom stalls that you could possibly crawl under and see somebody. Hmm. Weird. Yeah, yeah. For America being so concerned about people's safety in bathrooms and enacting laws for all sorts of shit. Hey, listen, how is a Republican a congressman stuff? supposed to take a wide stance if everything's closed up? <laughs> it wasn't a wide stance. He was signaling for anonymous bathroom sex in an airport. Yeah, I said a Republican congressman does a wide stance. That's what he's looking for. Same, same. Yeah, same, yeah. same. You know, I bet our glory holes are nowhere near as fabulous as what's in Japan. I bet not. I bet not. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that and Just move leave on. it right there. Ah, fuck it, clip. Our glory holes suck, clip. Fuck it. It's too good to pass that one up. <laughs> Fair enough. She knows her friend's cycle because they probably synced up. Yes. That's something that does actually happen. It's a thing. It is a thing. They sync up. No, I totally know that. Yeah. <laughs> I learned that the, the hard, hard way, way living on a co-ed floor my freshman year of college. That uh, was a hard winner. <laughs> yes, that does happen. Yeah. It's a thing. See, and I, I was very lucky. I was either too young or my sister was so much older than me that really by the time I started noticing things, she was already moved out. So it really hit me hard in college. Oh. When you make one in a appropriate joke and all of a sudden half the floor fucking hates you. Oh, well, that that was never me. Because of the environment that I was raised in, yeah. um, in that, that certain circumstance, I became very um, aware and tried to be as helpful as possible to Oh, see, now, after that, I became hyper aware and as helpful right, as possible. Right. See, I live. Yeah. I, I didn't make the joke. My roommate did, but you ever hear of guilty by association or right. proximity? That's yeah. what happened to me. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> yeah. It's a thing. And she has a fever uh, from her cunt in uh, cunt. <laughs> I was just thinking about how we're a bunch of cunts. Sure. Or maybe you had a fever from her cunt. Well, uh, be penicillin. Uh, clear right up. You're fine. Also, these kids are all supposed to be 15, so you better not. Yeah, right. Well, I was 15 too one time. <laughs> Would that happen? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, either that or it was just a Freudian slit. Slot. Slut. Fuck. <laughs> Penises and vaginas. God damn it. Clip. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
that's 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 one of their pros or cons, however you want to put it. A lot more clips when there's not clips. <laughs> yeah, that math tracks. Yeah, there you go. She must have shown her feet or something like that because Quentin Tarantino had to have her in this film. He mentions that he and loves this movie. Yeah, he does love this film and he did champion Battle Royale. Yeah. But he hired her, I'm guessing, because he liked the look of her feet in the film. Probably. Did, did they show her feet at all? I'm no, not sure. No, they didn't. Because him and his obsession with feet. It's a thing. Is definitely a thing. Oh, it's. It's a thing. Yeah. Watch his movies again through that filter and realize that he's got a thing for feet. Literally, I knew he had a thing for feet when I watched uh, From Dust Till Dawn. If you don't know he has a thing for feet, then I don't know what to tell you. See, now that could be acting. The thing that made me solidified in knowing for sure that he had a thing for feet, yeah. Jackie Brown. Okay, can I just interrupt yeah. here? Yeah. Quentin Tarantino and quote-unquote acting doesn't go together. Maybe Quentin Tarantino and quote-unquote directing, but not acting. Okay, I want to be very clear here. Are you saying that Quentin Tarantino is that much of a creep that he wrote a film specifically so he could put Selma Hayek's toes in his mouth? Yes. That tracks. It's a thing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Man, I'm on fire tonight. <laughs> and wait, wait, wait. His his really good friend, Robert Rodriguez, hired her and put Quentin in the movie as well just to make that happen, just so he could put his mouth on her foot. Yes. Still tracks. It's a thing. All right. Men are creeps. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, we are. Uh, I can't hear you. Hang on a sec. Hear me now? Yeah, sorry. Um, I got problems with the compressor again. Give me a sec. No problem. Two seconds. I'm going to pause the recording. I'm just going to switch inputs and see if that helps. Okay. Oh, okay. Awesome. All right. We're back and running. Three, two, one. Go ahead. All oh, right. Um, Let's see here. I got to find that again. Yeah, I was talking a little too much about that particular type of rifle. I got a huge <laughs> you're, you're hard on That was interesting, though. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I want to get... Um, there's a particular type of bullpop rifle that I've been like eyeballing that I'd like to get. Um, yeah. That I, that I really dig. And I just... I don't know. I've been like reading up on them more lately. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here we go. Hold on one sec. Sure, I know I fucked you up with that Tic Tacs and unwashed ass. That that you did, sir. That you did. Uh, <laughs> okay. And then that attack. So we get girl number six is dead. Ten to go. Hey, hang on a second. I hear background noise when you're talking. Um, are the girls going full swing upstairs? Yeah, they're going full swing right now. Do you have Wait, that? Hold on. Yeah, shut that door, would you? It's it's shut. Oh, really? And you can still hear them? Yeah, yeah. They're going, I mean, full swing right now. I think I think the dead are coming. Um, <laughs> is it better now? Yeah, I don't hear it now, but like they yeah, were, they uh, were screaming their fucking head off. Yeah, they were all going crazy there. Um, <laughs> you could totally hear them in the background. <laughs> I'm going to murder somebody. Okay. There. Do you hear that at all? No, it's not coming through. All right, good. Somebody keeps ringing the doorbell because they're probably outside smoking. They do have to say the whereabouts are unknown. They just don't know. Yeah, it's like Juliet Jake. Yeah. Let's see here. Or actually, Senator Blutarski. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Senator. No, it's double Senator, Senator and Mrs. Blutarski. No, it's Daniel Simpson Day. That he's the only yeah. one that's whereabouts. Oh yeah, are his whereabouts are unknown. Yeah. So it's like Daniel Simpson Day. What a bunch of fucking outtakes that is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Daniel Simpson Day has no great point average.
blah, 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 a little bit of music that's befitting of blah, 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 blah. If that's not there, I guess I'll record it later. Blah, 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 blah. I'm fucking done. Good night. <laughs> All right, man.